Welcome to episode 75 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagiri. And today we got that, that, that number five, every fifth episode, best picture showdown for you guys. I'm super excited to be here with my, my good pal Connor and talk about the 93rd Academy Awards, which feature best picture winner, Nomadland, uh, against The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Pretty interesting category. It's eight, eight total movies. We're going to rank those movies later on. Uh, we're also going to you know, kind of take a deep dive into what we feel about Nomadland. We're going to give awards to it. We'll look at the nominations that Nomadland got and, you know, and then just have some fun. But uh, you know, to start us off, I just want to get your initial thoughts you know uh this movie's like eight months old <laughs> uh nomad landed at one best picture uh you know last march uh, at the famous steven soderbergh uh directed oscars and one that will go down in history because of some controversy towards the end with chadwick boseman not winning and anthony hopkins winning best actor and then the then the show just fucking ended and the credits started rolling and everybody was like, wait, what? <laughs> Hopkins was great, but why did y'all do that that way? Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, but for you, you know, I, I watched this movie on Hulu when it came out back, back in February. It, it came out during that famous Texas winter storm of February. Yeah. And I remember watching it at home, just kind of like that was all I had to do because you couldn't really go anywhere. Uh, there was a time when our power, you know, was just completely out. So I couldn't watch movies, but when it came back, I watched Nomadland and you know, that, that first watch, um, it was, it kind of like put me on the floor. It kind of, it kind of just destroyed me. Uh, I'm a huge Vic Dorman fan anyway, and I think she's incredible in this movie. So I, I had a blast with it and rewatching it. I, I grew to like it even more in some senses. So how do you feel about it now after it, you know, having like eight months of life? Well, it's interesting because, Three of these movies we've we've covered in depth on the sneak preview because they've come out this year. Yes. And this is kind of the first time we've we've revisited in that way. Uh, definitely not the last, you know, but um, Nomadland, I got to say this time around, um, I've lost some affection for it. OK, it's Why uh, is that? there's so little happening. And it really just, I think because when it came out, because of the, the freeze and because of all the hype, I let a lot of things go. I let a lot of what I usually look for in a film slide. And while McDormand is fantastic, I just feel like I'm constantly waiting for something to, to happen. And okay. there's no real driving force. It's just kind of watching her go from camping ground to camping ground to Amazon job. And I get what's what Chloe Zhao is trying to say with this film. I think it would have been much more effective as a documentary because it's okay. basically a documentary with Francis. It, it, yeah. 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 It definitely, definitely is. Uh, feels like a documentary and has, you know, Bob Wells, real guy, Linda yeah. May, real lady, uh, swanky, real lady who actually have, you know, adapted to this life of van dwelling and, you know, being a nomad and actually, actually do it, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think uh, people who are first off, you, you know, you, you're right. There is not a whole lot happening plot wise. Uh, and that's totally, totally fair. I also think it's totally fair to kind of view this movie as kind of just 
exploitation and kind of like treating these people who really live this life, who mm. really had to, who really had to sacrifice and give things up and change everything about their day to day. And it's, you know, it's a fucking Hollywood, you know, production. And it's, it's a, a movie that won best picture and Francis McDormand won best actress for playing a van dweller when the people next to her are van dwellers. So it's very hard. It's a very tricky movie, I think. And I understand people who have frustrations with it. As an experience, I, I, I really love it. As an overall experience, I, I love Nomadland. I really want to read the book by Jessica Bruder. I think that would open up, you know, uh, some different kind of understanding. She actually went and did it and lived that life. And that's how she met, you know, Linda May and Swanky and Bob Wells. And she lived in a van and wrote this book. And then Chloe Zhao was very stirred by it, very moved by it, and wanted to make a movie about it. And I, I think it's tricky. I don't think it's as easy as just saying, oh, they're exploiting poor people. But I also don't think it's just as simple as saying, oh, what an outstanding, well-filmed well movie. You know, I think it, I think it deserves a conversation. I, I'm glad we're talking about it today. You know, uh, the 93rd Academy Awards, again, were just last March that, uh, of, the, of this year. So... Not that long now, but you and I have rewatched all eight movies from the from the category, and Nomadland, of course, is the one that that forever, you know, is going to be remembered as a winner. And so it's it's always going to have that extra urge to, hey, why, why, why did it win? What was what's so special about it? And you know, movies can either triumph with that, like a Godfather, you know, or you know, like a Kramer versus Kramer or Amadeus, they can take that by the balls and kind of run with it, or they can kind of falter as you watch it more and more. Something like Argo, <laughs> something, something like Driving Miss Daisy, <laughs> you know, they can lose that, that spice that they once had during the award season and with rewatches and kind of reevaluating it, it, it can change. So I, I, I'm glad uh, you feel differently than you do about Nomadland. I definitely feel differently, but I think I like it more now. And I've always kind of, kind of, kind of liked it. So it's going to be fun, man. You know, um, Chloe Zhao, I think is a good place to kind of start. She is a big reason why we're doing this movie. Um, you know, best picture showdowns are saved of course for best picture movies, but she also is, uh, in the spotlight right now as we speak because of Eternals, uh, uh, more fucking Marvel movie. So Chloe Zhao does, you know, these really gritty kind of authentic type almost documentary type movies the writer and nomadland uh and and then she gets this huge huge job working on a marvel movie and from what i've heard you know it's not out yet but from what i've heard it's not very good and it doesn't doesn't quite meet the expectations of of what we know as marvel movies now that's not very easy to do when infinity war and endgame just came out you know 2019 and you know 2018 so it's a tough spot for her to be in. Well, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that she, I mean, we're recording this uh, Wednesday right. of last week. So that we have yet yeah. to, um, to see this, mm -hmm. but it's currently sitting at a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's getting pretty panned across the board. And I think it's unfortunate that Chloe Zhao is probably going to go down as the only director who, or the, at least the first director who made a rotten Marvel movie. Yeah. And that sucks. And I really hope this doesn't set her career back in any way. I hope Eternals works, you know, combined with the pandemic and the bad reviews. I don't see this making a lot of money. 
Yeah, yeah. It's also, you know, the movies and the the TV shows that Marvel have been doing, they have this uh, built-in kind of lure in them. You know, like Loki is a character we know know very well, very, very well. We kind of have an idea of what to expect from that character and his antics and what's going to be going on. Same thing with WandaVision. Spider-Man's coming out in December. We know exactly what to expect from that. We're like, it's fucking Spider-Man. Those movies have been kick-ass. Everybody knows who Spider-Man is. I think Eternals had to have the good reviews and, and, and the, the critics raving it for people to be like, okay, this falls in line with what I, you know, what I need to see. But like you said, you know, because it doesn't have that, and with the unfortunate, you know, uh, ways of uh, Kevin Feige, who is like, no, I want this to be a big part of how we expand and how we move forward with the MCU into the next phase. It's a, it's a tricky spot. You know, I, I, you know, Disney Marvel, they're always going to be okay. Uh, they very, very rarely miss. And usually fans are obsessed with their work. So they're going to be okay. Like I said, Spider-Man's coming soon. So I don't think there's anything to worry about, but it does suck when a, uh, especially a female director like Chloe Zhao gets an opportunity and it just gets kind of squandered. And I, you know, gotta, gotta save our thoughts until we actually see it. Uh, talking about it tomorrow, next pre- uh, sneak preview. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sure. So there you go. So tomorrow come back to come back to filmgasm, come check out the sneak preview episode. And we'll talk more about that, but Chloe Zhao, uh, in Nomadland, you know, she's operating as the director. She wrote the screenplay, the adapted screenplay, and she's the film editor. She's kind of doing it all. She's kind of like Alfonso Coroning this fucker. So <laughs> that's impressive. And she has forever left her mark as the second woman to ever win Best Director after Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker, which is just fucking bonkers. Two out of 93. <laughs> that's that's ab- absurd, you know, and she became the first... Uh, Asian woman to even be nominated in the category. So she's, uh, she's made history already. I just really hope whatever comes after Eternals, maybe it's, maybe she kind of goes back to her roots and does something a little more on the ground, you know, a little bit more level-headed because Marvel's not like an easy thing to just jump into. Well, and Eternals is such an ambitious story. I mean, she's yeah. got, she's got the unfortunate job of introducing you know, the layman Marvel fans, like just, you know, moviegoers to a very complex pantheon of superheroes that a lot of people, including myself, really know nothing about. Uh, And she's got to make it stand out. She's got to make it exciting. She's got to make people remember this movie. And it could just come down to, you know, maybe these characters are unfilmable. I mean, again, I have not yet seen the movie, so I don't want to judge it too harshly yet. But I'm not looking forward to it as much as I was Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Man. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Sucks. It sucks, but that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. I think I think she's gonna, you know, she's she's pretty young and has a lot, a lot of stuff ahead of her, you know. Um, it's very rare that a director just can go from one small world of, you know, independent filmmaking to the biggest possible stage, you know, uh, that's not, that's not the easiest thing to, to do. Well, that's what Marvel does. They, sw- you know, they snap up independent filmmakers like, you know, James Gunn hadn't really done a lot of he's perfect big yeah. stuff till guardians of the galaxy. And now he's an A-lister. So it, it does, you know, 
you need a certain sense of style to make all these work. And I just don't know if Chloe Zhao has that yet, like a style, you know? I mean, it seems like if you look at Nomadland and you look at the preview so far for Eternals, it looks like her style is just kind of like dry dullness, which is unfortunate. So I don't, I, I hope she can do some like something kind of vibrant to really like, you know, draw people in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I'm rooting for her. That's for sure. I'm kind of definitely in her corner and I want her to do well and I want her to find, you know, find, find that balance maybe and find that style. Like you're talking about. She's, she's got a future though. She's going to be okay. Uh, Someone who doesn't really need much uh, introduction, much, much talking is, is Francis McDormand. Uh, Just one of the best performers I've ever watched in my entire life. She just destroys everything she does from, you know, raising Arizona to, to nomad land, like, and everything in between. She always shows up. She always knocks her role to like completely out of the park. It uh, doesn't matter what her, you know, uh, if it's lead supporting, whatever it is, you know, she is usually what you walk away from each movie she's in. Like, man, she, Francis McDormand is, is fucking electric, you know, uh, like, uh, even movies I don't necessarily love. Like, uh, this is, this is a uh, controversial, but, uh, almost famous. I'm not a huge fan of that movie, but I'm <laughs> a huge fan of McDormand in that movie. My God, she is scary. <laughs> she's frightening in that movie. Uh, She's one of the greatest act- actresses or actors in the eyes of the, the Academy. Uh, she's one of the rare people to get three performance Oscars. That's just, that's kind of unheard of, you know, the other people who have done it, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Like these are Titan, like huge performers people that we remember forever. And McDormand's in that category now. It's really cool that I was rooting for her to win as Fern and Nomadland just for history's sake. Do I like Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby's performance more in pieces of a woman? Yeah, I do. <laughs> but I was really rooting for McDormand just cause I, I, I want to see history in that way. And then seeing her how on stage after she won was, was fantastic. Uh, she was nominated for the first time in 1988 for uh, her supporting role in Mississippi Burning. And then eight years later, she won for lead role in Fargo, 1996, a movie we've talked about. Actually, Fargo, we talked about on Oscar Sunday during the winter storm because Nomadland was coming out. We did it on sneak preview. We did Fargo on Oscar Sunday. And look at, look at it. Look at where we're at now. Really cool. <laughs> uh, she was nominated for Almost Famous 2000, uh, Best Actress in Supporting Role. Uh, supporting role again in 2005 nomination North Country great movie uh, then she won in 2017 for her lead role in three billboards outside Edding, Missouri and then got that third win uh, just less than a year ago uh, in Nomadland and she also is the first actress nominated for acting and producing in the same film and that's Nomadland so pretty cool stuff she is a big part of why Nomadland works, uh, even though she's part of the controversy, being the only, well, not the only, but one, you know, the only main, main one, you know, you got David Strathern as well, but she's in the movie the entire time. 
and she's an actress. And then she's surrounded by these people who really live this life. Some of them didn't even recognize her, didn't even know who she was when she's walking around the vans. Cause you know, McDormand has a very just, just kind of normal kind of look to her, which is one of the coolest reasons, uh, or, you know, one of the, one of the coolest assets that she has as a performer is just kind of having a, an everyday kind of look an everyday kind of woman. And she kind of carries that, carries that with her. But what is there to say about her? Is she in the conversation for the goat? Is she one of the greatest of all time? Is she, is she our generations, you know, Catherine Hepburn, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what could be said about her other than that. She's just fantastic. Yeah. She's a rock star. Um, not only her performances, but you know, how vocal she's been about equality in Hollywood yes. is fantastic. She never misses an opportunity to throw shade at producers who don't accept like, you know, who are on the wrong side of history. And I, I love yeah. that. Um, but yeah, she's fantastic. Uh, definitely an, um, a conversation could be made for her as the goat, I think, just by frequency of performances. Like, I think, you know, Meryl Streep is often touted as like the greatest actress of all time. And she's good, but I don't, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's just, you know, a nomination every year, does it kind of takes the magic away from it. It's like, oh, there's Meryl's movie. And are yeah. all, all of them deserved? I don't think so. The Iron Lady, get, it, get the fuck out of here. Uh, whereas <laughs> McDormand gives 110% every time. And I think that you were, you were talking about her look. I think that's an, enabled her to really become a transformative character actor who just like astonishes. I mean, I am super pumped for the tragedy of Macbeth. Like oh. in major part because I want to see her and Denzel act together and that's going to be fucking amazing yeah those are two those are two absolute titans just head to head and it's you know and it's cohen you know and of course she's married to joel cohen and has been since 1984 and that's just like it's the most perfect pairing in the world (laughs) and it's fucking shakespeare the only story by shakespeare i actually enjoy macbeth so yeah bring it on yeah Hell yeah. And I just got to see her in French Dispatch. Mm. Uh, she's, be- she's become kind of a Wes Anderson go-to uh, since, since Moonrise Kingdom, I guess. You know, uh, She's someone who clearly understands the vision of, of each director she works with, but she always brings her kind of pace and her grit. Uh, I, I, I love her for that. She's one of my favorites, for sure. And I would love to witness her get a fourth Oscar win at some point in her, in her career. She's in her 60s. You know, it's very possible. Very, very possible. She's also one of the only, you know, Triple Crown winners. She won a Tony, won an Emmy, and she's won Oscars. Like, she's she's just a freak of nature. And damn. Yeah, yeah. She has a convert. Like, like those other people I named don't have that. They don't have that. Catherine Hepburn, Meryl Streep, you know, like, I know they're from a different era, especially Hepburn. But they don't, they don't have that to their resume. Like, Francis has done it on the stage, has done it in TV. And movies just exquisitely for decades now. And it's, she's, she's the bomb. I love her to death. I love any time we get to bring her up is an absolute treat for me. If she does a country album or something, she's got that EGOT. <laughs> I, I, she could, I, I wouldn't put it past fucking Francis Mack to make, to make a country album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible stuff. I love her. Uh, again, the, there's only one other performer that's, 
like straight actor that we recognize, and that's David Strathern, who plays David in the movie. Man, oh man, this guy, this guy puts in, this is one of the things I kind of not missed the first time I watched it, but his subtlety in this movie is, is something to behold. I think he is perfectly placed next to someone like Francis, who's just like lightning, lightning, lightning. And he kind of comes in, he's like the quiet thunder, you know, just, just kind of waiting and waiting. And just when he's on the screen, you can feel him right above you. And I, I love his role in this. I love his performance. I love what he's doing. There's a couple scenes that he's in that are my favorites of the whole movie. So I respect this guy a lot. And, you know, he was nominated for best uh, actor in a lead role. Good night and good luck. 2005, a movie I've only seen one time and I don't remember it that well. Cause I was kind of young. I would love to see it again though. It might be a movie we bring up on this show one day. Uh, and he's, he's someone we get to bring up again, but that's, that's his only nomination ever. Well, it's a, it's an earned one. Uh, good night and good luck is a stellar film about one of America's greatest journalists, Edward R. Murrow, who stood up to uh, Joseph McCarthy and his fucking red scare. And the film actually <laughs> uses McCarthy like archive footage of the Senator in the film by like debating against David Strathairn. And it's fucking cool. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's fantastic in that movie. And I'm glad if he was going to have just one nomination, I'm glad it's for that. Cause yeah, well done. Yeah, he's he's damn good in it. He's a guy who's just been you. You look at his his uh, like IMDb, and you're like, oh yeah, he's in all of these movies. <laughs> you know, he he whether it's uh you know five minutes on the screen or fifteen, he's just he's a guy who's worked constantly for a long time. And uh, I I think I think the one that I I remembered most fondly when I was kind of looking at his IMDb is is his role in LA LA Confidential from 1997. That movie's, I love that movie. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's one of those uh, underrated to me, 97 movies. You know, I think we think of a lot, you know, Boogie Nights and Jackie Brown and Goodwill Hunting. I'd like to throw LA Confidential in that conversation. It's a great movie. LA Confidential fucking rocks. It's one of the best cop movies of the 90s, maybe ever. It's just Hell so yeah. stylized. It's the perfect, like just a great cast, epic story. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't like, we never brought that movie up as like a potential episode. I think till now I would love yeah. to do LA confidential. Me too. Me too. I, it, it's definitely going to happen at some point. I like 97 a lot. I think that's a really cool year <laughs> and it'd be fun to fun to do something other than boogie nights uh, from that year. I think that's the only movie we've done from 97. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we've done a lot of nineties movies. You know, we had that five, we did five nineties movies in a row. We did, you know, Sherman show and we did, What's in Gilbert Grape? And we did Unforgiven. Uh, we did fucking Toy Story. But uh, I think 97, the only time we've gone there is Boogie. I think you're right. Um, I'm looking at what we've done so far. And um, I think, yeah, it's just uh, it's just Boogie Nights so far. Yeah. And what a great film it is. But I would love to, yeah, love to do something else. Go take a different angle in 97. And maybe maybe L.A. Confidential is, is, the, is the one to go. Um, let's see. Those are the only two performers in uh, Nomadland who have some sort of Oscar resume because, again, a lot of them are not actors. Uh, so I got one other person to, to talk about here that's on the, on the crew, and that's the visual effects. Stefan Caretti, I believe is how you say it, uh, which right away when you look at the IMDb 
for this guy, you realize, oh, that's the connection for Chloe Zhao and Marvel. Okay, okay. I see, I see it. Nominated for two Oscars, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2014 and Doctor Strange 2016. Also worked on Nomadland. And that's got to be where some kind of, you know, conversations and friendships started between him and Chloe. Hey, you've got some talent. You've got a serious eye. Like maybe you should, you know, maybe I should put a put a word in for you. I, I maybe maybe it's not that simple, but I feel like something along those lines happened, and I think that's how a lot of stuff happens in Hollywood is just those those random connections. Am I am I blind or like where exactly are the visual effects in Nomadland? I I don't think visual effects is uh, probably the right right uh, title. <laughs> Yeah, it says right? right here, visual effects by they had a whole team. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think they probably did other things than what we are used to from like Doctor Strange and Guardians. Probably had to do a lot with the lighting and what's happening. Uh, that's mm-hmm. also got to be got to be uh, you know the cinematographer who was only has only been nominated for Nomadland, so there's not really a serious resume there. But someone like Stefan Caretti has clearly put together some stuff. You know, also worked on Cloud Atlas worked on in game. Uh, yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty massive stuff, massive scale stuff. Maybe there was some consulting that had to be done over, you know, over certain things. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's something that'd be fun to kind of research. Yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe one day if I write a thesis on this movie, <laughs> which could happen. I, it could, you never know. You never fucking know. Uh, let's see. That's it for our uh, individuals that make up nomad land. So let's have some fun with the 93rd Academy Awards. These movies, you know, we just were on a ride with again, less than a year ago. And so it was really cool to rewatch and remember, you know, uh, of course you, we have the eight that we're going to be talking about in the best picture category, but like another round, another round is pure fucking perfection to me. And it was really cool to just see Vinterberg's name to see you're like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Another round was at this ceremony. Really, really fucking cool. You know, Regina King's debut, you know, one night in Miami. I was like, oh yeah, I liked that movie. That movie's fucking badass. And <laughs> I love when that happens with these recent ceremonies because we know them so much better than you know the 30s and 40s. This is what we've lived through. Yeah. As movie this as movie fans, these are movies we've seen on in theaters or seen on streamers and have become a part of our everyday, you know, life. And I I love when that happens, man. I love doing these showdowns that involve the whole ceremony because we, we know so much about it. have seen so much from it. It's really cool. Yeah. It's always great to have more, you know, a better grasp of the content and more shit to talk about. It's always great to add to the conversation. You know, when we do films pre like 1970, it's a little bare when we cover the the ceremony because that's just you know not an area of film we've really gotten to dig into. But over the course of this show, we've we've definitely grown. Oh, and we will continue to. You know, that's that's the idea. The idea is that Oscar Sunday is still a baby. This podcast, and that one day there will because of our own time and watching stuff in our spare time and watching stuff for the show. At some point, we will have so many nominated movies under our belt that those episodes will be just as easy to get through as these. And that's, that's going to happen. And instead of doing all of that work without recording and then coming up with the show, the show is more of a journey, you know, a journey with us. And I I hope, I hope if you're uh, 
you're listening and you, 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 you like this show that you're kind of on that journey with us, you know, cause a lot of people in their twenties just don't give a flying fuck about the Academy and, and what it has to offer. But you and I have always been like, no, it, it can be cool and it should be cool. And we should want it to be cool. If you're a movie fan and you, you should want it to be something special, even if it's not perfect every time you should want that to happen. You should be rooting for movies like another round. You should be rooting for movies like Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari. You should be fucking pounding your fist when those movies you make money, get recognition, and make more money because of that recognition. Yeah. Well said, man. It's, it's all contributing to an overall just love of film and an excitement when people get to make something that they love. Because, you know, it encourages us to constantly seek out stuff that matters and kind of reinforce stuff that people think doesn't matter. Mm. And uh, yeah, all of these shows kind of are constantly going in that direction. And I love that. Hell yeah, man. Very cool. Well, uh, let's see. Let's start with the nominations for Nomadland before the wins. It won best picture, of course, best actress in the lead role and directing but we got three other nominations for cinematography, film editing, and screenplay. So you want to start with cinematography? Why not? Uh, let's do it. Let's do this. Um, so our nominations for best cinematography, we've got Judas and the Black Messiah by Sean Bobbitt, News of the mm-hmm. World by Darius Wolski, Nomadland by Joshua James Richards, The Trial of the Chicago 7 by Faden Papa Michael, and the winner. Awesome name. Yeah. I feel like I've mispronounced that name before. <laughs> uh, and the winner, Mank by Eric Messerschmidt. Mm. Uh, Mank. Yes. I, yes. I forgot about Mank, and I, rewatching that one was a joy. Uh, I love Mank. I like Mank even more now. Me too. Rewatching <laughs> that was like, oh, God. I, this is a, th- th- This movie is like the most hated Fincher movie, and I fucking can't stand it. It's got the lowest rating of all of his movies on Letterboxd. People are just like, ugh. Why do you got to stroke Hollywood like that? Because it's fucking awesome. And Gary Oldman is fucking amazing at it. And Eric Messerschmidt, as the cinematographer, is putting in a fucking clinic in this movie. Totally deserves the win. I think Nomadland has something to say. I think Judas has something to say. Hell, News of the World is okay. But Mank is like a revelation when it comes to photography. God, that movie looks perfect. Mank is... You know, I... I get why people don't like when Hollywood kind of just, you know, strokes itself, but I mean, sometimes it's justified. I mean, I, you know, the story of citizen Kane is a, is a story worth telling. And I thought, yeah, yeah. Fincher did such a great job telling this story from his father's screenplay, which is his late father's screenplay, which already is like just great. And it's a film about just not giving a fuck and doing, you know, art for art's sake. How do you not get behind that? It's, I don't know. It's wonderful. And it's got one of the snappiest screenplays ever. The dialogue in that movie is like fucking like, you know, lightning. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's witty as shit. I love it. Uh, yeah. I love Mank. Love Mank. And, and I think my favorite part of it is that there's there's a, a feeling you get when you're in someone's hands. And uh, when I went to see French Dispatch, I was like, oh, man, I was just smiling ear to ear for the first 15 minutes because you're like, this is why I go. This is why I go watch stuff that I like. That's for me. 
and makes sense to me how it looks. And I feel that same way about almost every single David Fincher movie. And you have to look at Eric Messerschmidt. You have to look at his different cinematographers and, and that, that vision that Fincher, that freakish vision he has of, you know, doing 80 to 90 takes just to get one little thing correct. And you gotta, you gotta wonder if Eric Messerschmidt also has that crazy, you know, a work ethic of let's perfect this. And in May, it looks like they're going hand in hand. You know, it's like a perfect match of two guys, two, two visionaries working together as one. And at the center, right in front of the camera is Gary Oldman putting in one of his best performances of all time. Yeah. I brought this up on, um, I think it was, yeah, on our um, Caleb and I's episode on The Descent we just did. I don't, I don't remember how it came up, but I read somewhere that Gary Oldman has never used the same accent twice. His entire career, every movie he's ever done, his voice is slightly different every time. That is fucking incredible. <laughs> I love that guy. What a treasure! Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so he's so damn good. We'll do Mank at some point on this show as its own episode. It's just I love it so much, and it'd be fun to kind of, you know, we've done Fight Club on this show. Uh, it'd be fun to do a, a very modern David 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 Fincher movie. And go down that rabbit hole again because his his filmography is obviously very special, and I think Mank is right there with all the others. You know, it's not my favorite. You know, I still love Zodiac more than the rest, and I adore Social Network, and I love Fight Club, and Seven is amazing, and Dragon Tattoo. But Mank is in that it's it's properly in its place to me. Uh, it, it makes sense that Fincher made it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think there's a, is there any competition here for you with this category uh, or, do you, or do you think Eric is definitely the winner? Cause that, I, I definitely think he should have won. I think so. I think the only one that really comes close to me uh, for me is news of the world. Uh, okay. Yeah. Which was a beautiful movie, but yeah, I totally agree with measurement taking this, this mink, the way it's, you know, it's filmed to kind of not necessarily replicate old Hollywood, but kind of almost parody it. Is, yeah. is fucking great. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from the camera work. So yeah, definitely. Well, well done, Eric. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, film editing. Mm-hmm. We have the father, nomad land, promising young woman, the trial of the Chicago seven and the winner sound of metal. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sound of metal. I think the best thing about sound of metal is how well the sound and film are edited. It's and it won both those Oscars. Uh, well, yeah, well done. Yeah, not yeah. Uh, God, I love that movie too. Sound of Metal is fantastic. It's uh, it's a uh, it's so unique. It ma- it makes itself its own kind of singular experience because of those things, like you said. Also, the sound, uh, sound editing, the sound in general, the 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 decisions they made, you know, with uh, Riz Ahmed's character Ruben, the way he's kind of dealing with this change, this per, like permanent change in his life, uh, using that emotion and that kind of uh, you know traumatic experience, really, quite frankly, and then technically just kind of dominating the movie and making it this kind of class technical movie is so cool and so special and it it doesn't happen 
that often where a film is so on top of those things while the story itself is just kind of pulverizing. And I, I, I have a, yeah, I have, I have a lot of amazing things to say about that movie. I think it's awesome and totally deserves the praise it got and deserves all the recognition it got. I'll never forget when I watched it, this came out the same week as Mank uh, through Amazon prime. It came out on December 2nd and Mank was December 4th. And I was just in heaven. Just like, this is, I feel, I feel at home. I get to sit at home and watch these on my couch. You know, this is, this is almost a year ago, you know, and I think we're in different stages of uh, how people are reacting to the pandemic and reacting to COVID than we were a year ago. And, and I, I felt very comfortable being on the couch watching movies. I had no problem with movies coming to the streamers. I've gotten back out to the theater a little bit more this year. Not a whole lot, but, uh, but you know, more times than last year, that's for sure. And gradually getting more comfortable with doing that again. But uh, it didn't affect my experience with Sound of Metal. I just thought it was a masterclass kind of movie. And it did one of those rare things where I didn't speak the entire movie. You know, you're just like, what? And in your head, you're thinking of a million things, but you can't, you're, you're just locked in. And it's, it was on a you know, kind of fairly small TV in my living room. And it had that effect on me. You know, it's just really special. And those, those, those little, little things that are happening with the editing from Mikhail G. Nielsen are just, just on another level. And I, I've, I'm totally fine with it winning right here while I, like the father, like what's going on there. I love that Chloe Zhao kind of took it all in herself to kind of do everything in that movie. Uh, Friedrich Thorval and Promising Woman. There's some really nice cuts in that movie. Charlotte Chicago 7. I'm not as big of a fan of how that one moves, but they're all, they're all, they all look cool and look like, you know, grade A kind of movies. But Sound of Metal is, is its own kind of experience. And I like when movies like that get rewarded. Yeah, so do I. I, I didn't expect this one to to make a splash at the Oscars. I, I, I watched either. it and thought it was good. And then I, I was so jazzed when it just took off. Um, and I, that, I would, think, that would have happened in any random year. That would not have happened. If it was just a theater movie with all these other big, splashy movies, yeah. the fact that it was on Prime, the fact that it got this random kind of wave of people like, whoa, wait, this movie fucking kicks ass. Let's pay attention to it. I think that helped it tremendously that it was just kind of, right there in front of people to watch and everyone that I've met that's seen it is, has been moved by it has been stirred in some way. And that's always a good sign. I always, at least, you know, for the past year, obviously I think about what this Oscars would have looked like had there been no pandemic, mm. you know, what would, would this, would it still be the same movies? Probably not. No, I guess. No, cause, cause you, you would have had so many other things ha- happening last year, you know, Dune would have come out. French Dispatch would have come out. You know, all these different films that were supposed to be 2020 movies that have moved to 2021 yeah. and are now a part of the current 94th Academy Awards, you know, run. Uh, which, you know, it, ultimately we're going to look back and, you know, people are going to look back in 50, 60 years and just like, well, it's not going to even be a thought. But for people like us who have lived through it, I agree with you, man. I think it would look way different. I think these eight movies... I think maybe four of them just wouldn't be there in the best picture category. I think there's a few that are just no matter what, no matter what year they came out, the Academy is going to recognize them and put them in that best picture category. 
But Sound of Metal is on forefront of that, of like, and promising a woman. Like, no way. No way do those movies get the attention they got if everything would have come out in 2020. I just, I just, I, I don't think so. Mm, I have, I have a differing opinion on that, but I'll save it. I, uh, Sound of Metal is my, is one of my favorite movies of the entire year last year. Uh, and I have no problem admitting that it, I just don't think it would have made the waves it did if everything would have come out. Yeah, it'll be one of those, you know, great questions we'll never get to answer. Yeah, uh, I love th- I love thinking about that stuff, though. I think the uh, the father is my second pick here. Uh, the way that film is edited to, you know, Anthony Hopkins perspective to constantly keep you as confused as he is, is pretty brilliant and just mm. so sad. Uh, but Sound of Metal accomplishes wonders with its editing, and I'm glad it took the uh, took the Oscar. Yeah, I'm with you there. The father, great, great stuff. Definitely takes second place. Uh, best adapted screenplay. We've got Borat subsequent movie film. <laughs> I'll never understand that. Uh, Nomadland, <laughs> One Night in Miami, The White Tiger, and the winner, The Father. Uh, this is such an odd group of films. Uh, Borat, do you think, I mean, this movie doesn't exist without the pandemic. Yeah, 100%. But just both Borats scored Best Adapted Screenplay nominations. And I, considering they're both like completely ad-libbed and built on you know confusing and freaking people out, how does that happen? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I also think that's why there's about 50 names credited here. Yeah. There, it's like, oh, well, someone came up with a sentence every day. So we just, we just we just ran with it that way. Whereas all of the other films have one person. <laughs> you know, it's it's Chloe Zhao. It's Kemp Powers. It's Ramin Bahraini. It's, you know, uh, Florian Zeller for The Father. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, <laughs> it's just funny seeing Borat. And it, it's got so many names credited for the screenplay. I, I don't know. I There's there's. There's got to be something going on there because, yeah, in 2006, Borat also made its way into the into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be something going on there. Something's got to give. But I I think the father does, does deserves this one. Uh, that that one rewatching that one, I, I fell in love with that one even more. I already liked it quite a bit, and uh, you know, just just kind of kind of validated that. I think I think its competition is One Night in Miami by Kip Powers, yeah. but I don't know. I, I think this I think this one was right. I also think it was really cool that Florian has this adoration for Anthony Hopkins. He was like, I need to make I need to make I need to write a character for this guy. <laughs> I have to. Very cool. His kind of you know little boy fandom for one of the greatest living actors, and one of the greatest actors to to ever live, quite frankly, and. We feel that as fans and knowing that the guy who wrote this adapted this uh, play, his own play. He has that same admiration. Very cool. I love that he won that one. Yeah, I agree. I think the father is the winner here. Um, I have not seen the white tiger. I wasn't, uh, I never did watch that movie. Um, It's pretty good. It was good. Yeah. I think you dig that one, man. It's, it's, it's like, kind of epic <laughs> it's kind of like an epic epic type type movie type story and i think you would 
I think I think it's one of the cases where you would probably respond to it more than I did, and I really liked it. Okay, I'll put it on the list. Um, Nomadland, I don't think deserves to be here. I think this film doesn't really have a screenplay, uh, or at least it's a very dull, not really exciting screenplay that I don't think matches up with the rest of this. I mean, One Night in Miami is just sharp, insightful dialogue the entire time. And the father is a brilliantly sad story that just draws you in. Uh, yeah, I think those are the only two that really had a had a chance at this one, and I'm glad it was the father. Me too. With Nomadland, it's so hard to know what came from the hearts of the actual van dwellers and what Chloe Zhao wrote down. Yeah. I, I would need I would need to see in paper what did Chloe actually write. Because there's a couple of bits of dialogue from, you know, uh, Linda May and Swanky and Bob Wells that just destroy me, just basically light me on fire. And I'm like, fuck, I can't I can't even think about anything uh, other than this this old person who's speaking to my fucking heart right now. (laughs) But that's probably them. You know, that's probably more from their own mind and Chloe saying, hey, let's get this out of you, you know. That's yeah. that's more the job of the director than the 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 the, the writer. You know, I, I I just I'm very curious as to what she actually wrote down for Nomadland. If she wrote those little you know those little like monologues from each of them, then fucking a you know that that's some serious talent. But I doubt that she wrote all of that. You know, I think it was more of a uh, you know collaborative experience in Nomadland and m- much more of a hey. What have you lived through? Let's. How can we adapt this to the screen? You know, uh, and you know, I also want to read the book. I want to read Jessica's book so I can see kind of. Well, maybe some of this is really from the actual book and actual dialogue from the book. And Chloe went ahead and wrote it to paper for the movie. I don't know. I think this one. There's too many question marks around Nomadland's script and if it was ad libbed or not, and what was you know going on. Same thing as Borat. It's like, wait a minute. How, how is this a proper screenplay? I kind of need to see it. Uh, the other three, the other three are proper screenplays based on something. Two of them, the ones that we like the most are from people's own play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Kent Powers doing his own play and Florian Zeller doing his own play. So it makes sense that those two kind of stuck out to us. I think you cut Nomadland and Borat and you give those spots to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Hillbilly Elegy personally. I would have to look more at the more at the year to see kind of what I what I think. But I, I, I my Rainey's was very effective. Very, very good shout. Yeah. Um, so that takes us to the winners. Uh, we've got best director. We have Thomas Vinterberg for another round. David Fincher for Mank. Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. And the winner, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh if there was any sure thing at this awards, it was this one. Like she won everything like yeah. the globe, the, like the SAG, the BAFTA, whatever the fuck. I don't, I don't know what they were, but I know that she won everything. Yeah, she did. So this was, you know, we were just kind of waiting for, for them to say her name, but personally, I, I would have given this to Fincher looking back. I'm, I'm team Venterberg all the way. Uh, I'd be okay with any of these people winning. Um, yeah. 
they're all doing, they're all, they're all kind of doing something special, something very different. Lee Isaac Chong and Minari, good heavens. The, the control. Uh, you're watching a guy who's been an incredible filmmaker for a long time, finally kind of get the proper recognition on the Western part of the world uh, in Minari. Just one of the most American movies I've ever seen in my life. And it's incredible. His, his control throughout that movie is incredible. Uh, Fincher, like you said, Fincher's doing all of his kind of all of his little tricks uh, while doing something different from his own filmography that we've that we haven't seen before. Uh, Emerald Fennell and Promising Young Woman. It, here's someone who she's demanding your attention. She's like, I'm here. I'm here to stay. I won this. I won the proper screenplay award, you know, and I'm also an incredible director. It's very cool to see two women in the same group. But Tom, Thomas Venterberg, this is, this is a guy hanging out with his friends and making a film. And you can fucking tell. You can fucking tell. You can see it. You can see the camaraderie. You can see the understanding of this kind of wacky story <laughs> of these teachers that decide to just drink and stay at, a certain, stay at a certain percentage throughout the day. And then they start pushing it and start pushing it. And it becomes a different outcome for each of them. And his connection to Mads Mikkelsen is everything you want from a director. It's, it's like that stuff you see with Scorsese and De Niro and DiCaprio. You know, it's like we understand each other better than the movie understands itself. <laughs> and it's so fucking cool to witness. But Chloe Zhao, um, like I was just talking about, there has to be something about that screenplay and about that book and about these people who really live this life for her to whatever she did to get through to, to, to the Bob Wells, to the Linda Mays, to the Swankies, to get through to them, to be honest, to be vulnerable and speak about their, their, their own, you know, their own, uh, their own lives, their own experiences. That's huge. That's fucking massive to make people feel comfortable enough to do that for a movie. Because uh, it, it is not filmed like a documentary. It just seems that way because it's like, well, these people are just kind of speaking from the heart. That's, that's hats off to her job as, as a director, as she's in control. She's in the big chair. She's calling all the shots. She's also the, the writer and the, the editor. I think she does a damn good job with Nomadland and kind of never taking it to a place where it becomes so exploitative that you're kind of uncomfortable. She, she like hones in on a lot of stuff and her patience is fucking amazing. She's got me really interested in seeing her past films. You know, I, I really want to see the writer. I'm, I'm ashamed. But I haven't seen that one yet. She clearly has some kind of, some kind of grace about her that people respect whether they're actors or real life people that are playing themselves. And I respect that. I really do. I think that's gotta be hats off to her, but I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, my vote would be Thomas Venterberg. I think, I think another round is just so goddamn special. And I love that you have seen it because <laughs> I sound like a crazy person, you know, on the podcast till the other person's like, Oh yeah, the movie is good. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Another round was, was, was fantastic. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and really, this is anyone's award. This is a great bunch here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, 
it really comes down to personal preference. And I think that Mank is just a much more enjoyable movie. Uh, and, but then again, you know, if Fincher had won that, then people would be like, you know, he should have taken it for the social network or something like that. So yeah. there's no win here. Yeah, no, Fincher. no, that's true. <laughs> Go back to Mindhunter or something, man. You can't win over here. <laughs> uh, I do want to point out where the hell is Mank in the screenplay category? Like, I can't believe it didn't get anything. Yeah, that got that got some that took some heat. That screenplay took some heat. And I don't understand it. I think it's fantastic. It's such an ode to family and to passions in the in film. You know, David Fincher was uh, was able to be on set and meet George Lucas and meet these different meet Spielberg and meet these guys at a young age. And it shows now his kind of recognition to cinema's history and cinema's past. Yeah. And I think the screenplay being, like you said, his father passed away. It like speaks volumes to Fincher, to David as a person, to David as an artist and paying respect to like, what's come before him. Uh, and that's, that, that goes hand in hand with, with his work and his father's work on the screenplay. I'm with you. I think it's lightning quick. I think it, you know, is Amanda Seyfried and, and Gary Oldman just totally understand what they're going for. And it, it worked. It worked very well on me. Just like the scene where Louis B. Mayer is taking uh, Mank's brother on a tour of MGM and he talks about how, you know, like every star is replaceable here. You know, like, you know, some some forgot that. And now they twinkle elsewhere. Little little things like that. Like, God, <laughs> I, I love it. I was smiling the whole time on my rewatch with, with Mank. Hell yeah. Um, me too, man. Me too. And it's long. It's a long ass movie, but I just don't give a shit. So much fun. <laughs> Uh, best actress. We have mm. this is a great bunch of actresses here. Viola yeah. Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrew Day for the United States versus Billy Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, and the winner, of course, Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Uh it was a big upset when when Andrew Day won the globe for this. And uh that kind of made me think like, ooh they might not be given Francis the third, but they did. <laughs> and it's cool for history, but I think that there were more deserving women here. I think so too. I'm with you. Uh, I, uh, Andrew day. She's, she does a great job in that movie, but I'm just not a huge fan of it. I don't like when movies that I, that are, that aren't great are in these categories while yes, it's technically a performance category and she's great in it i actually think that movie has the biopic syndrome and it just kind of doesn't know exactly where to go uh mulligan is fantastic bella davis is just doing her thing she's just one of the best people we have uh my, my vote's vanessa kirby piece of woman is earth shattering and uh, uh, what she does alone in the first you know 15 20 minutes of the movie uh spoiler uh Hopefully you've seen this. It's on Netflix. Uh, when, the, when the baby is lost, like there's no one in this group that's touching what she does in that like five, 10, 15 minutes. She's fucking unbelievable. And she takes it all the way to the end. Um, keeps, she goes toe to toe with Ellen Burstyn and just wrecks her, just like knocks her out. 
uh, Ellen Burstyn's like, I'm ready to go, you know, 12 rounds. And Vanessa Kirby's like, no, you aren't, bitch. <laughs> like, I'm fucking knocking your ass out. And then she does a great job uh, at the end, you know, in the courtroom scenes. And it, she, it's just, to me, perfect. It's a perfect performance. And she's not going anywhere. She will be back. Vanessa Kirby will be back. Yeah, no arguments here. She's fantastic. Uh, but I know I've been defending this movie since day one. Carrie Mulligan should have walked away with gold for this. I, her performance in Promising Young Woman is so fucking visceral and un, like flinching and unforgiving that I just love it. It's, it's a fuck, to me, it's a flawless revenge thriller that earns its position here. And I know I'm not, like, I know I'm on an island with that, but I don't care. I, this was, nothing changed, in my opinion, of this movie on this, with this rewatch. If anything, it, it got strengthened. Because now, you know, once you know what's coming, when you know how this film ends, it is so much more devastating watching this happen, watching it unfold the way it does. And I just, I think Carrie Mulligan is such an underappreciated, underrated mm. actress that watching her take home a statue for this would have been really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we differ on this one, this film the most from this ceremony. Yeah. Uh, second time watching it. I like it a little bit more, but I've still not, not, not really, I wouldn't call myself a fan, <laughs> a fan of it, but I'm a fan of Carrie Mulligan in it. She's, she's special. Uh, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of what she's doing, like like movies like Shame and Drive. Like she's just been doing amazing stuff for like 10, 12 years now. I'm just not quite sure what to think about the movie and what it's trying to say exactly. And I get really confused with some of the the turns. But it it looks pretty crazy, you know. It's kind of like a it's it's kind of like uh What's the word? It's sh fucking shiny. When you're watching it, you're like, holy shit, this is fucking like glaring at me. This movie is just fucking coming at me. And Carrie Mulligan does such a good job of not being, she kind of counters it. She's not, she's not too showy herself. She's just fucking rolling with the punches and kind of punching back. And I really like what she's doing in the movie. I just don't know what I feel about the movie as a whole. So it's kind of stayed in the same realm as the first time I watched it. I was like, huh. What was that? What was going on there? And then this time I was just, yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of the, I love Bob Bar Barnum is awesome in it. He's fucking amazing in this movie. And uh, there's other kind of small roles in it, you know, of all the guys that she kind of <laughs> fucking lures. Those are all really clever and they're, they're, you know, they're kind of on the nose, but they're fucking clever. And, and I, I like that about it, but as a whole film, yeah, we, we just differ on it. I think there's a couple on this, best picture group that we're just, we just feel differently about. Uh, and, and we're, we're going to find that out real soon. <laughs> it's, it's going to take a full fucking episode devoted to promising young woman for me to really unpack everything I like about this movie and for you to unpack everything you don't. And I want to do that so bad. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to, I don't know. I'm just confused by it. I'm, I'm confused by it. So I, I would love to do that. I would love to just open the floor and let you, speak what you what you feel about it i've i've read a lot of reviews about it on letterbox because it's one of those movies that's just split down the middle like people either really love it or people are just like what is this horse shit and i love that when, when that happens on letterbox i get so happy that same thing happened with malcolm and marie where people were just like 
this is amazing. Or they were like, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> and I, I, I'm one of those rare people who's just in the middle. Who's just kind of like, okay, I like some of it. Some of it I'm confused by. And I, I don't exactly know why. And the one thing I know about it is Carrie Mulligan is worth your time. You know, <laughs> she's, she's worth every second she's on the screen. Uh, and that's why she's in the group, you know, with, with these amazing other women. So that's your vote. I'm team Kirby. Sorry. Sorry, Mrs. McDormand, uh, Mrs. Cohen, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're, you're a legend, but I'm not quite sure that this was the one, uh, that, that should have gotten you the third, the third gold, gold, gold trophy. And she might get a fourth at some point. So that's like, that's kind of sucks. Cause then you look back and you're like, well, maybe Carrie never gets that chance again. Maybe Vanessa never gets that chance again, or Andrew day, or, I mean, I think Viola Davis is going to get plenty of chances, but you never know with these, these performance categories. Cause they're only five. You just never know when you're going to get there again. Well, I mean, technically Francis has her, he, she does have four cause she did win him for producing yeah. Nomadland. <laughs> yeah. But Fucking, I get your point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perform. I, I think it's going to happen, man. I think she's just got so much left in the tank. She might to, fucking win for Macbeth, honestly. Like it could happen ex- exactly, next year. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It could happen any given year with her. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Oh. So that takes us to best picture. The big one. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We have Get to rank rank these bad boys. Oh yes. The father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and of course the winner, Nomad Land. Does it deserve best picture? Eight months on. Let's see. Let's rank these bastards. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go, we'll go eight to one. Uh, I'll let you start with your eight and I'll, I'll follow suit and we'll kind of figure out, figure out what we think about this, about this category and these movies that are cemented forever uh, in Oscar history. I think I know what your eight is. And I think you know what mine is. Um. I actually don't know what your eight is. I'm I'm kind of curious because I, I, I yeah, I definitely know what every if you've listened to me before, you know what my eight is. Yeah. <laughs> uh my eight is Nomad Land. Okay. Number eight. Yeah. Last place. This doesn't happen very often. Well, let's be fair here. This is the worst of the best. Like there are no bad movies here, in my opinion. It's just okay. yeah. what I think is better. Fair enough. Uh, and Nomadland, I do think, just doesn't have enough to warrant a second watch, in my opinion. Like, to me, it's a one-and-done, okay, great, what's next kind of movie. And I think that it would have benefited from being a documentary. I think telling this story as a true account of real American lives would have been so much stronger and so much more powerful. And like you said, this does kind of feel like exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. so with all that, I do not think this film should have taken Best Picture. I think it was the safe choice after giving it to Parasite last time because that's what happens with the Oscars. They'll give it to a weird movie, and then they'll give it to a safe bet. That happens mm. so often. You know, if it's after Shape of Water, they give it to Green Book. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just something that I noticed with the Oscars, and I don't like when they do that. I wish that they would actually, first off, watch the whole movie. That shouldn't be too much to ask. No, <laughs> it shouldn't. And yeah, just uh, I think think about it a little bit more. Don't you know? Don't subscribe to the hype. I think that happens. And uh, yeah, Nomadland just is not that amazing to me. 
I like it. Fair enough. Yeah, this is a we we've discussed many times in the past you know, over the past year that this group is overall pretty good. You know, it's a pretty good group here. Uh, we've done years on here that have a couple of just straight up duds that are just like not worth your time, not worth the shit, just boring, stupid, nothing to say, bad writing, bad performances, and we're just like, what what was that? Why is that here? You know, just just the last one we did, we had Nicholas and Alexandra, where it's just, are you serious? In my opinion, that movie just doesn't come anywhere near these eight movies. And that that's 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 cool. While I always want it to be just five movies in the best picture category, that is cool that there there are eight movies worth talking about. And that that that's always nice. All right, my number eight. Uh yeah, you 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 know where I'm going here. It's uh Aaron Sorkin's Trial of the Chicago Seven. Oh, okay. I I uh <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> oh, you were. Oh, I thought I thought you knew for sure that this. Yeah, I I, I don't don't really care for this movie too much. Uh, I remember watching it. I remember uh, I think it was in November when it came out, and so just about a year ago, and it's through Netflix and sat down and I was like, okay, we got a good fast pace, typical kind of historical drama introduction here, kind of bouncing around. We're learning about these different people that are involved in, in you know, in, in what we're about to see. And whenever it started really getting going, I just, I was like, okay, this is, this is okay. There's some decent performances in this. And then it ended and I was like, okay, that, that felt misguided. It felt, feel like Sorkin was just like, fuck it. <laughs> uh, I think there's good bits in the screenplay, just like Sorkin always kind of does. But I think his directing is just not very good. I don't think that's his, that's not in his bag. I don't see what separates this from other courtroom dramas from the past 50 years. And I think Eddie Redmayne is almost appalling in this movie. <laughs> in his performance because his his accent is like dude <laughs> dude you're not you're not really even trying uh sasha baron cohen is playing a guy who's like 25 years younger than him and it's it shows because <laughs> he's he's got wrinkles on his face and this guy was like in his 20s uh abby hoffman so i don't i don't, I don't know the, the only part that i was ready for on the rewatch and i got excited for was when michael keaton shows up <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite bit from the movie. Uh, I just, yeah, this, this lowered from a seven to a six for me. I, I just don't really respond to it. I don't really like it. I think I misjudged uh, Franklin Gellis performance. I think he's just doing what we expect him to do in this movie. Well, I, well, I first thought he was kind of incredible in it. I thought he should have got a nomination. I just, I, I think I was wrong. And that's kind of why you rewatch movies. If anyone's going to get a nomination from this movie, it's Mark Rylance. He is bringing the heat. He's really trying. Uh, I think he is really going for the Sorkin stuff. But again, overall, it's 130 minutes. It's over two hours, and I don't think it needs to be. And I just didn't, I, I don't feel moved by it. I also, while it's not totally my place to say what's right and what's wrong about this story. Uh, I think their use of the Black Panthers in this movie is almost disrespectful. Uh, I think 
you know, just kind of, kind of just putting them in it for like a bit, bit part is, is, is just a bit wrong. And I think a movie later on in the year, uh, kind of just, just kind of fucking frog, you know, it did a little frogger thing. It just jumped right over it, leapfrogged it. And, uh, now I don't see any need to watch this one when I have the other one. <laughs> to be fair, the reason the Black Panthers are kind of in this movie is because the Black Panthers were kind of in the trial. They were like Bobby Seal was became part of that story simply because they wanted a black man in the group so they would look scarier. And it's fucked up, but that part of the story is minimal because his involvement was minimal. So I, I get that. That's fair. I, th- I just, I think Sorkin mishandles it pretty, pretty bad. I think he, I think he shows now with Molly's game and with this, you know, he just like, directing and just, I just don't think is his best trait. Obviously he's a great writer. Obviously he knows how to, how to write stuff for the big screen. I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I think he mis, mishandles stuff. Fair enough. Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with everything you just said, but I, I, I am okay with you, with you saying it. All right. So we'll get to that one later on your list. I assume (laughs) much, much, much later. Yes. All right. What's your number seven? Uh, my, my number seven, uh, may come as a shock to you, but again, I want to say, there are no bad movies here, just better ones. My number seven pick is Minari. Oh, I, yep, shot I, to I, the heart. I knew this was coming. I knew I'm, I'm prepared for the for this. No, no, no. But yeah, you, you you like the whole group, you know? Yes, <laughs> I do. There's nothing lower than an eight on this on this scale here. Okay, yeah, I got I got a couple lower than that, but then there's there's quite a few eights, yeah. yeah. And Minari, I don't really have any problems with it. It's just at times it is a bit of a it, it does drag. Uh, I there feel like like Nomadland, there are a lot of times during Minari where I'm kind of just waiting for something to happen, and that's no fault of anyone but you know my own preference. I have no beef with this movie. I just think the other uh, six are significantly more entertaining, exciting, and memorable. And that is, that is my, that's my case. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. That'll be showing up later. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I like that one a lot. Uh, Let's see. My number seven is probably what you expected to be my number eight. And it's promising young woman. Uh, already spoke spoke a bit about it i just i i don't i don't totally connect with it uh it's still still a seven for me it's still you know i think it's i think it's worth watching i think it's uh carrie mulligan if anything is is worth your time i just i'm not quite sure i i understand it or connect with it uh very much and personally you know there's 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 quite a few movies i i would i would put above trial and promising woman like uh Another round, uh, never really. Sometimes, always. First cow. I think all those movies are are just much more. Uh, and that might just be because they're much more up my alley. You know, uh, movies I connect with a lot more. Yeah, fair enough. They can't, you know, they can't all be winners. Uh, but you know, to some people, they they are winners. But we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. 
I think that our, I feel like our top eights are like flipped at the ends and similar in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what's your number six? My number six and going forward, uh, these are all like six through uh, three are pretty interchangeable. Uh, this is okay, really okay. tough to kind of rank here, but number six is the father. Mm, that's my number six too. All right, cool. Uh, this movie is a brilliant depiction of um, an Alzheimer's patient and the mental gymnastics one has to take when diagnosed with that uh, horrific disease. Anthony Hopkins is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I know a lot of people consider his Oscar win unearned because of the way they did it at the show. I'll never for the life of me understand why they did that. Uh, but if it hadn't happened that way, if best picture had been at the end, like it always has been for the past 92 Oscars, um, this is, this is totally earned. Anthony Hopkins was lights out. Olivia Coleman is fantastic. The score is beautiful. The story is so sad. The ending, it's impossible not to cry. It's, it's a lights out good movie. And I'm glad it was, it was included. Yeah. Me, yeah, me too, man. This is so powerful one from, from here from six to one. I, I really like, really like these movies. The father is a must see Anthony Hopkins. It's just crazy that this guy still has, has it, you know, just has just talent oozing out of him still. Uh, and you know, he's one of those guys that we don't know how long he's going to keep going. So you gotta, gotta appreciate it while it's here. Have to, have to embrace greatness while it's here. So I father's awesome. <laughs> Rewatching that was, uh, just, just an experience. <laughs> I'll say that. I, I really like it. Olivia Coleman is fucking amazing in that movie too. And I'm, I'm, I, it's, it's one that I, you know, I would like to own, you know, it's, it's a good, good quality movie. My grandma, uh, had Alzheimer's for the last like eight years of her life. And she, by the end of her life, she was just like rolling around in her wheelchair, like rolling into the wall and not speaking. And when a movie tackles something like that head on and takes it seriously, I, I usually respond to it, you know, uh, just, just as a, as a fan of art from pain, you know, art from traumatic experience. And the fa father's really good. And I, I'm with you. I think the father uh, on, on any given day could be four or five, you know, in, in my, my rankings, but today it's number six. Well, I'm very sorry to hear about your grandma. Um, I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah. It's, it's, it fucking sucks. You know, it was my, my, my mom's mom, Melba Rose, Melba Rose stone. She was a, she was a great, great Texan lady. And, Taught, taught, taught me a whole lot in the, uh, the time that she was still very with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she, yeah, she passed away eight years ago now. So it's been, it's been a good while. And, uh, you know, I just, I still have those memories of her, which is, which is very special. And those memories of like her, you know, let's go get donuts for dinner. You know, she was that kind of grandma who's like, let's fuck, let's just party. <laughs> let's just have some fun. And, uh, that stuff is that stuff's important, you know. When people put that into into whatever art they're doing, and that 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 shit matters a lot. And the father, you can you can feel it. You can feel it. You're like this is this comes from a place of authenticity, and I, I like that a lot. 
Yeah, I think it's incredible that Anthony Hopkins was able to channel that. You know, I mean, I think he's what in his 80s. Yeah. And yeah. in his pat in the past few years, he's done like, you know, the father, Westworld, the two popes. Like he's in a fucking second wind and he is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, he's hit like his ninth gear. He just keeps <laughs> fucking keeps going. I honestly believe he could play Hannibal Lecter again tomorrow and the movie would still be incredible. Yeah, he he could be scarier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guys, that guy, that guy's lights out. It's really crazy that that movie's thirty years old. Sounds to Lambs, you know, kind of the one that, the one that was like, no, he he he's here and he's here to stay. <laughs> Sir, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, very cool. Fantastic. Uh, so that was your six as well. Yes. Okay. So my number five is Sound of Metal. Hell yeah! Let's go. Uh, <laughs> as I said, this is just a very powerful movie about a, a sort of loss. A lot of us don't think about, you know, what if all of a sudden tomorrow you couldn't hear anymore? Yeah. I'd be fucked. Yeah. Yeah. This is gone. Like there is no more podcast. Like my, you know, you have to completely change your entire life and it hits this guy, Ruben, a heavy metal drummer, especially hard because his entire life revolves around music and to not hear music anymore. What a fucking curse. After and, getting it, after getting it for like 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. And then, you know, him finding the, the deaf community and ultimately betraying them is so horrifying. The, the, the scene that cements it for me is when he's trying to convince uh, Paul Racy's character, whose name escapes me. Um, I'll look it up while you're talking. When he's trying to convince him to give him money for the surgery. And the guy tells him, you're talking to me like a junkie. Yeah. Like, fuck, man. It's there's it's hard to know who's right here, you know, because, yes, Paul Racy's character has found peace with this. Ruben clearly has not. Is it ultimately his decision? Does he owe something to this community? It, there's no right answer here. And it's just heartbreaking. And Riz Ahmed, Jesus Christ, does he knock it out of the park? What a great performance. Um, yeah, I, I was blown away by this. I almost didn't watch this just because I didn't care. And ultimately, I think you're the one who told me, like, you got to check this out. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. Uh, Paul Reese's character's name is Joe. Joe. Uh, that is that scene. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it's something to behold. And Riz Ahmed's like, it just doesn't fucking matter. We just keep going. You know, he's like, every, everybody fucking dies. Like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you know, if, if I'm gone, who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? And if you're, uh, and Joe's like, Joe does the, you know, he pulls his, pulls his mouth like the sign language for junkie. Mm. And like, oh man, dude, like, that's, that's something else. Yeah. Good stuff. I'll definitely be talking about that one soon. Uh, so that's your number five. Okay. My number five is Nomadland, the best picture winner. Uh, this is nitty gritty. This is hard. These, these five were very hard to separate, very hard to. I ultimately had to just kind of break everything down and, and just, just kind of imagine my, what, what, I, what, what sometimes I do with movies, especially movies that are this close, and I'm trying to rank them because I love ranking things and I love making lists. I usually put myself 
this might sound a little bit psychotic, but I'll put myself in uh, like a white room, like in my mind, nothing, nothing else is going on. And I imagine each movie, you know, uh, in this case, Nomadland just coming at me. Like there's nothing else that's going on around me. I'm just in this, this like blank space. And all that matters is, is Nomadland. And I imagine which one is hitting me the hardest. And that's how I kind of try to figure out with, with performances or with movies themselves, try to figure out which, like, which one is more important to me and which one do I like better. Uh, and we've, we've, we've both spoken uh, on Oscar Sunday about how the, the best thing you can do as someone who's talking about art or talking about things that you enjoy, your passions, is to let that just fucking ride it out as hard as it can into the sunset because if you try to conform and be like other quote unquote movie critics or, you know, music critics or art critics, whatever you want to, whatever category you're looking at, you're just, you're just going to sound the same as other people. And if you want to have that individuality in your, in your statements and in, in your passions and your feelings about something, you have to let that just like ride as far as it can go. And these are, these are difficult from here on out. They're very difficult. I'd say the father is a, just slightly behind these other five, but these, these, these right here are, I love these movies, man. From here on out, I love these movies and Nomadland. I, I was floored by it watching it. When I was watching it last night, I was, I, I should have been going to bed. It was really late. Uh, I stayed up late watching the, um, again, this is Wednesday night that we're recording this. I stayed up really late watching game six of the world series because I got really into the Atlanta Braves. I got really into their run and they had their best player get injured back in July. And they were like kind of the Cinderella type story that I just wanted to witness. And so I was watching game six of them. They beat the Astros uh, last night. And I was, I was watching that and that lasted until like 11, 1130. I was like, okay, I, I should probably start winding down, but I was like, Oh no, I, I gotta watch, gotta watch Nomadland, you know? And it just, it, I forgot about everything. I forgot. I forgot the Braves one. I forgot. I had work that day. I was just in Nomadland. I was in Fern's world. I was in Chloe Zhao's hands, and I, I really responded to it. I was crying when during some of the. I'll save that for my awards, but I was crying during some of the the dialogue. Just fucking rocked me out of like out of my fucking. I was sitting. I was sitting on my bed, and I was I was like sweating. I was like, God damn it, <laughs> and, and that that's that's huge, you know. But I'm also with you on that Nomadland lacks something overall it lacks there's there's there should be something in this movie if it's not going to be a straight-up documentary there should be something driving it a bit more and because of that it's not quite i don't like it quite as much as the other, these other ones but i really responded to it i moved it from a four stars to four and a half stars and letterboxed i would definitely say it's an eight to a nine now i just really dig some of the stuff going on and i like fucking swanky dude <laughs> swanky is like one of my favorite people to ever be in any movie just fucking shatters my my mind and it, it had to kind of it, I, I had to like really think about where it is ultimately these other four movies just mean mean a bit more to me which is saying a lot because i, I like this one yeah you're right that does sound psychotic but yeah i agree with it i i agree i understand exactly what you're talking about it's a special kind of psychotic. Um, 
Indeed. It's just, it's odd to me that like, they hold a funeral for Swanky in the movie. Like the character dies. Yeah. But the real Swanky, I don't think is dead. No. And she's a real person. Yeah. So it's like real, real weird. Yeah. The line is so fucking blurred. It's hard to know where to stand on this. It, exactly. And that's like what's fascinating about it, but also kind of like, oh, I don't want to go near it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole because it's, it, and, and Letterboxd will, will, it will tell you, you know, it'll tell you there's people who just fucking hate this movie's guts because of that part of it, that, that part of, Look at these poor people, you know, look at these poor people on this Hollywood production. And I, I, I get that argument, but I can't help but feel feel pretty floored by the experience itself uh, and some of the work that Chloe's doing. So I, I like it a lot. I don't hate it. You know, I don't. There's very few things even out there that I hate. Yeah. Yeah. There's people who are just fucking angry, uh, you know, that, that talk about movies. They're just they're just angry before anything can even be said (laughs) that's just that's no way to live your life that's no way you can't you can't have hate just constantly poisoning everything that you care about you can't have yeah otherwise you'll never be out of you yeah i agree yeah um all right that makes yeah everything you said makes sense i get why you let you stand behind this one uh number four for me is mank me too (laughs) I love it. <laughs> yeah. I've already spoken at length about how yeah. much I love this movie. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> when Gary Oldman is like, well, there's a few times he's pissed drunk, but there's the one where he's just, his belly is just showing. You can just see <laughs> Gary Oldman's big old belly. And he's just, ah, uh. <laughs> there's someone taking off his shoes for him and trying to like, un, you know, make him comfortable on the bed. And he's like, ah, <laughs> just he's just being Gary Oldman. <laughs> It's it's got to be nice, at least in your own head, to firmly believe that you're a genius. Because to to know that no one else comes close, that you are the best, and he he just rides that high the entire movie of just no one's opinion matters more than mine, unless I say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really just a joy to watch <laughs> and also just to know exactly how little Orson Welles had to do with Citizen Kane. That was a real shock to me. Yeah. 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 That, that his performance is amazing in it. Right. Uh, but the, but the genius of the, just the background of Citizen Kane comes from this just fucking drunk. <laughs> Crank this out in like three months. Yeah. Because he yeah. had a deadline. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. good. I love Mank. God, it's so good. Like you said, we've spoken about it quite a bit already. It's just, it's hard to kind of pass up when it comes about. I, I, I'll just talk about Mank all day. It's, it's, it's so good. So funny. So uh, informative. Yeah. And features. I think, I think Gary Oldman it's one of like my three or four favorite performances of the, uh, of that, of 2020, of 2021. You know, I just, he, he's just lights out. He's doing stuff that other people can't even fathom doing in that movie. It's awesome. My favorite moment is when uh, Louis B. Mayer is trying to convince 
his uh, workforce to give up their, like to have their salaries because they're going through a tough time right now. And he's pleading. He's like, you have the sacred word of LB mayor. And like, if you know anything about classic Hollywood, you know how much of a piece of shit Louis B mayor was. And yeah. after that, he gets like a standing ovation from his loyal workforce. And as he's walking away, Mank turns to his brother and says something like, that's not even the most disgraceful thing I've seen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's the awareness within the movie that this world that we've created, this movie world, this industry is so fucked. <laughs> it's, it's, it's knowing that and Fincher, like you said, it's kind of a parody. It's kind of making fun of it while also paying homage. And he, he's just stepping on that line, you know, just like that, just fucking just kind of dodge, dodging it. And, and, and I love it. I love it so much. It's a fascinating movie. And when people say it's boring, I'm just like, well, you just do whatever. You know, I just don't now have much to say. <laughs> if you didn't like Citizen Kane, odds are you're not going to like the movie about Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I've heard so many people tell me Citizen Kane is boring. And I'm like, I, I just want to tell them, like, did you, did you watch it? Or yeah. have you just heard what people have said about it? Because if you sit down and watch that movie, it's anything but boring. Yeah, it's actually like wicked fast and very entertaining. And yeah. and does it does the uh time jumping better than like anything <laughs> better than any movie going from interviews in the present to the past to just like what the movie's fucking bonkers and all over the place yeah i think people have their their presumptions and their their preconceived ideas about something like citizen kane they're like i'm going to not like this because everybody says it's the best movie ever and then you have people on the other other side who are like i'm going to love this before i even get to know what it is. And, and I hate yeah. both of those. <laughs> both, both uh, ends of that spectrum are dipshits. I want nothing to do with. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But also I, uh, our generation for some reason just despises black and white films. There's a big part of that. Uh, for, for sure. For sure. It's pretty rare that you find someone who's going to seek uh, someone in their twenties. Who's, you know, and, and there, you know, there's a lot of us out there, but there's more, than there are you know there's more there, there's more that are against it than there than there are that like want to seek that stuff out and watch old movies and not care about it being black and white or in color because uh, that just has never never bothered me uh, one bit and it's because of you know modern movies that have taken that made made that decision you know movies like francis ha and roma you know when they make that conscious decision to be black and white it really allows you to watch something you know modern and new with this lens that is just so about the past and, and, you know, define the past and it makes it really easy for you to, to watch old stuff. You're like, Oh, I'm used to this. Same with, same with like subtitles with foreign movies. People are just like, I don't want to read. You don't want to read. So you, you literally are admitting that you just want to eat fucking popcorn and be entertained, you know, like, okay, cool. But some of us want to like gain something out of watching the movie. (laughs) Yeah. And I enjoy walking in both worlds. I enjoy getting popcorn and just watching Spider-Man swing around New York City. Well, also, and, you know, I'm looking forward to House of Gucci the same way. Mm-hmm. It's all just, you know, entertainment to me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and knowing uh, that you can have different caps on while you're watching each thing. And it, yeah. that's 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 important. I love I love them all. You know, I like like every form of it. So, yep. Uh, I, so that's both our number four. I love that. <laughs> uh so i guess that's my three yeah here we go all right my top three uh probably 
might not surprise you. It might, it might upset you. Uh, well, I know. I mean, you know, I'm doing it just, <laughs> just by, just yeah. by what you've, what you've named. I know, I know the three that are left and a couple of them were in the back for me. <laughs> You're not going to like the order. Number three is Judas and the black Messiah. That's my number three. <laughs> and I want to be very clear. This movie is fucking spectacular. Um, my favorite performance of the year is Daniel Kaluuya in this movie. Oh, it's, I mean, it's the best. Shit. Yeah, it's the best. I'm so glad that he's like fairly new in his, like fairly start, you know, just starting in his career. He's already got gold and it was for the right movie. I mean, just, you know, giving Fred Hampton speeches, he brings this unbelievable energy and realism to it. I, I believe I'm watching Fred Hampton. It's fucking crazy. Uh, and, you know, Lakeith Stanfield's no slouch either. They're both amazing together. And this is a very honest and brutal film about a story, like about a man who I was never taught about in school, a man who was almost wiped off, wiped out of history because of the way the education system is designed to, you know, against activists like him. Mm. And I'm so glad this movie taught me about Fred Hampton and gave me a very powerful film uh, to kind of carry with me going forward, which is nice. I, yeah, I was absolutely jazzed by this one. Ah, yes. We haven't really talked about this one at all because it doesn't appear in the categories that Nomadland appeared in, which is a damn shame. Shaka King is doing a wonderful job with this movie. Uh, It's, it's like you're watching a 70s, you know, crime thriller, but it's biopic and it's one of the more important American figures. Uh, definitely one of the most absurd, you know, travesties of the past, you know, 100 years, you know, and, and it maybe just flat out in America's existence. It's a flat out execution of someone who is 21 years old. And because they're scared of what he could do and the numbers that he could raise up and how smart he was and how he wasn't just fight fire with fire. He was, let's, let's fight fire with, with our fucking brains. Let's fucking go at them from all angles. Let's figure out how yes to step up and be violent when we need to be violent, but let's also step up in the right places. You know, we need hospitals, we need food, we need different, different things that normal people get we're considered not normal. So let's, let's figure out a way to kind of bridge that gap. And I, I think it's just a spectacular movie. It's very important. It's, it's to me the one out of all of these that just simply had to be made. This movie at some point had to be made. The story of Fred Hampton had to be told. And the decision to do it through Bill O'Neill, very fascinating. Uh, I think, I think it's tough. You know, some of the, some of the stuff that goes on with Bill O'Neill, you know, it, it, it's really tough to like really kind of wrap your head around, you know, and the fact that he took his own life, it adds a whole nother layer to it. And they just kind of, t- they kind of just throw that on at the end. Like, Oh yeah. Because you're so immersed into this movie and into the story from, from the late sixties. But it, it, there's something about it that has a pace that nothing else has anymore. You really have to go back to like 70s and 80s American cinema to find this pace. You have to go back to, you know, like William Friedkin. You're like, 
where who what where the fuck did this guy come from shaka king and when can we get more <laughs> when can we get more of this this pace of a movie and, and like you said daniel kaluuya is it, it's not just the best of the year it's it's, it's one of the best performances I've, I've ever laid my eyes on yeah. the speech the famous scene the way it's filmed the way he carries himself is very very good he doesn't look a whole lot like Fred Hampton, but he carries himself the, like the exact same, same way. That's always the most important part of, of playing someone who's, who's real. Uh, Hampton died when he's 21, and Daniel Kaluuya, I believe, is 30, 31 right now. So there's, there's this, this age gap where I think it would have been really cool to find someone the same age. But that's, that's what's special about Fred Hampton is you can't find a 21-year-old like him. You cannot find a 21-year-old who can carry himself like that. Daniel Kaluuya has, has been seasoned. Daniel Kaluuya is a guy who's from the slums of London and understands what it's, what, he understands what it's like to be stepped on and to be disregarded and to be treated with just nasty, nasty racism. He is the guy for this part, and he fucking crushed it. I, I mean, there's just not a whole lot more you can say about it. It's why I wanted to rewatch it. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I get to see Kaluuya just putting on a show in this movie. And then I forgot how well it moved. I was like, God damn. Some of the, some of the shots in this movie and some of the, when they're in the car and you're riding with them and you kind of know what Bill, Bill O'Neill's up to. And you're like, Oh fuck man. Like this is just crazy. Just a crazy story. And it's fucking real. It's, you know, it's very true to what, to, to what happened. And it's, on some days it'd be my favorite from this group. You know, it really is just an incredible, incredible feat. And if you, if you haven't seen it, get the hell, get the hell out of here and go watch that movie. It, it is without a doubt to me, the most important movie from this group. It just, you just have to see it. It had to be made. And I'm glad, I'm glad Shaka King did it, man. I can't wait to see what he does next. Oh yeah. Big time. Uh, if you want more in-depth analysis on this movie in particular, uh, we did do this on the sneak preview months ago. Uh, episode seven <laughs> the sneak Whoa. yeah um so go back and check that out um we loved it then we love it now it's a, it's a I, fantastic film i guess that and nomadland we did both of those around the same time um yeah and uh is that all we yeah uh we mentioned the father and we mentioned minari but they didn't get full episodes okay that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Oh, wow. I think Nomadland and Judas were back to back. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, they, they were. It, it went Pieces of a Woman, One Night in Miami, The Little Things, What a Piece of Shit, <laughs> Malcolm and Marie, Judas and the Black Messiah, Nomadland, and then United States for Billy Holiday. And then Moxie. Moxie was fun, man. Moxie. Fun yeah, fuck. I forgot about that one. I miss when it was just like one or two movies coming out a week where i could kind of just watch everything now there's like five or six and most of them suck yeah <laughs> sneak preview has become the most difficult part of my life but i love it <laughs> yeah it, it's it, it it has to be here you know it has to be here talking about talking about the current state of film is why you get those random Judas and the Black Messiahs and the Nomad Lands, you know, and and the you know Zack Snyder cut <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> oh boy, um, yeah, 
Judas is fantastic. I definitely, yeah, go see it. Um, so that was your three as well. Correct. So yeah, now we're down to the top two. My number two is the trial of the Chicago seven. <laughs> Let's hear it. Why okay. do you like this movie still? <laughs> I am a sucker for a courtroom drama. I know I'm a sucker for Sorkin's writing. Even if his directing is shit, that screenplay outshines it every second of that movie. Uh, the ensemble, regardless, I don't give a fuck about age discrepancy. I never have in film. So all I, I just love the ensemble. Um, the story is so powerful and relatively unknown to our generation. And I love that we're getting, we got a spotlight on it. Um, I love movies that tell stories. I didn't know. That's a big thing for me because, you know, as a history buff, it encourages me to go look up the, you know, the truth and find out like, Jesus, like, how did I miss this? And, uh, I just think this film nails it. I, I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with it. I really don't. I, this movie was moving. It made me cry. The ending is beautiful. Naming the names of all the people who died in Nam while this travesty is taking place. I mean, come Good on. Touch. Good touch. And it's just the back and forth between this evil fucking judge and this team of people who were never given a fair shake. They were just, they were declared guilty before they even walked in there is, is powerful and it's potent and it's timely. It's timely. And I, I just, I think it's a near masterpiece. I really like this movie. And I liked it even more on the second viewing. It's a solid nine for me. Might go up if I watch it a third time. Wow. Yeah, that's the one I think we differ the most on. You know, it's my number eight. and is the one I would take out if I could put, put other stuff in. I just, I wonder, I wonder what it is because I, I hear all the things you're saying and I don't disagree. Uh, obviously, like you said, you don't care about age discrepancy. I normally don't like Kaluuya is 10 years older than Fred Hampton. It's so glaring with Sasha Baron Cohen. Cause he's like 55. Like, it's just like, dude, Abby Hoffman was like 20 something. And True. I just, that, but I didn't know who Abby Hoffman was when I watched this movie. So okay. I, it didn't, it didn't bother me. Okay. That's fair. I, I, I knew, I knew a little bit about this. You know, this is my, this is my favorite. My favorite thing in the world is late sixties, early seventies. United States of America, just the just pure shit that's happening and the art that comes out of it. Uh, I find it to be such a captivating time and so similar to what we've gone through um, recently in the past year or so. And I think, I think, I think trial of Chicago seven. Uh, I, th I think I just uh, have my main issues lie with, it feels like, Sorkin is filming his screenplay and not a movie. And I think that's where my biggest, biggest problem is. What do you, what do you mean by that? I think he's just putting guys in a place and saying like, read, read my amazing writing instead of really trying to craft a movie. I think that's my main problem. Fair enough. But it does, his, I think it, it happens in Molly's game too. In his defense. <laughs> he did write a fucking amazing screenplay and I wouldn't want anyone pretty improving good. It's pretty on my work either like that. If I was that good. No, no, I don't No, Not improving. I just don't think there is a, I, I don't think there's a whole movie there. I think it'd probably be better suited as a book. Mm. I don't know. I, 
I, I also don't see it with Eddie Redmayne. I thought he was great. Yeah, I can't, dude. I can't handle him in this movie. <laughs> I, can't. I was just, I, I, I just, I just get really frustrated. I also am not a huge fan of his. So yeah, there's just differences in our fandom with this movie. You know, uh, I've praised Sorkin plenty of times through through our shows, and I, I mean, he, you know, I can't can't ever take away some of the stuff he's done. But th- this is just not one of my favorites. You know, uh, definitely not. Well, that's a shame. Uh, what is your <laughs> what's your two? My number two is Minari. <clears throat> yep. So we know we know what our number ones are. Uh, Minari, Minari, I, uh, oh, good God, just one of the one of the better American dream movies I've ever seen. It's the most subtle movie out of all of these. The most uh, most calm, most controlled movie of all of these, in my opinion, and moves about a way that's so mature. And Lee Isaac Chung is, again, one of those guys that people are like, who's this? And it's like, well, he's been around for a long time. You know, you just, you're just really stuck in, you know, watching English speaking and English uh, distributed and produced movies. And he demands your attention so much so that, you know, not only was, was he up and was the movie up for best picture, you know, Steve, Steven Yoon is like pff, fucking lights out in this movie. He plays, he plays a dad so fucking well, like so well. He plays a husband who is just torn about so many different things, torn about his relationships, torn about his place in the world, uh, his place in this new, this new environment he's in, trying to figure out how to become, you know, a successful farmer, successful worker in this place that's just so difficult to get in, you know. It, those, those like meetings he has to like get into grocery stores and get in these places. They're so fucking rough to watch. And so those little tiny wins that, that, that the family has throughout the movie are so rewarding. And it's one of my favorite endings uh, for any movie from the past year, you know, him and his son, just, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. It's not the, uh, it's not the hundredth blow that breaks the rock. It's the 99 before it. And I love that. I love, love that about Minari, that it is one of those movies that here's a snippet, but you know that this story does not end here. You know, uh, it, it keeps going and this father has to keep moving and keep trying to become a better person. And I, I, I love every performance in it, man. It's, it's an awesome, awesome movie. I don't think it's for everyone necessarily. I think it is uh, on the slower side for a lot of people. It's, not as easy to get into as something like Judas and the Black Messiah or, or a promising young woman, you know, it's not as, you know, bang, 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 like knock it out. It's, it takes patience. It takes a, yeah. takes a patient eye. It takes a patient mind to watch Minari and really appreciate it. But I, I, I definitely loved it. And I would love, 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 love to own this movie at some point. Yeah, I get it. It's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. I just, you know, I, when it comes to film, I don't like to be reminded that I'm sitting on the couch watching a movie. I don't, I don't like to have those moments where I can like check my email. I like ah. to just constantly be, you know, in, in the shit. That's what I want. I want to constantly be just present. And some movies just have those, those moments that just drag you out. And I, I hate when that happens, but I, you know, I, I got to, 
admit when it does happen. Yeah, no, for sure. Being honest, you know, with your, what, what you felt while watching it, that's the most important thing. And yeah, I think, I think that's a, I think Minari is a key is, is a movie you could look at where like the, the differences we have as movie fans are going to shine brightly with Minari. I, 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 I like a lot of quote unquote boring movies, you know, um, I usually, I usually like quiet. I like movies that just move and don't need a lot of words, you know, uh, to tell you, to tell you what's going on. I like, I like, I like emotion behind acting and behind filming and Minari's kind of a world-class when it comes to that. Whereas I like words. I like, you're a writer. Yeah. I like exposition. I like character. I like a plot driven movie with a goal in mind and that's yeah. you know that's okay we can coexist yeah 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 i mean yeah th- th- this this isn't as bad as when we uh talked about the tree of life come on <laughs> fuck that movie there you want to know some things i hate i hated that movie love that one yeah <laughs> that would win that would win uh best picture this year for me <laughs> oh, ah god no way <laughs> you're lucky i haven't done it you know i wanted to do it for its 10 year anniversary i wanted to do it this year but i was like no connor just won't have any fun so fuck it <laughs> you're 100 right i would have been bitter the entire time I, what we could have done is i'll just do that one by myself i'm like hey guys it's austin here talking about the tree of life <laughs> just, just no one with me <laughs> just oh, me just take take it from me yeah it's, this is it's awesome. fucking doing that is is boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I respect people who do that, who do radio shows and do podcasts by themselves. I mean, it's a total, totally different type of uh, t- type of production. You know, you're just it, it is you. Everything that's said is you, and consistently hearing yourself without getting any feedback while you're talking can make you sound can make you cr- go crazy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I hope I never have to dig into Terrence Malick in any shape or form. I have so many, ugh, I just don't care for, for him or the way he makes films. Uh, got to watch the 70s stuff, man. You got to, you got to try. It's, it's, it's actually, it's all, they're both story driven, you know, uh, days of heaven and uh, Badlands. Like you, you would much prefer that than the, you know, cause he, cause he stopped for a long time and then he came back in the late nineties with a thin red line. And that's when he decided with that movie, he's like, I'm going to change everything that I do. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be a totally different experience, you know? And from then on, you know, tree of life and night of cups, like th- these movies are just way different than that 70s stuff. Get to watch pre pre-carry in Badlands, and that, that is something to behold. One day. One day. I don't know. I'm going to have to get drunk or something. It's going to just... I, <laughs> I hate... Oh, not the time. Not the, I've got, I love Terrence Malick. <laughs> God, Tree of Life was one of the most boring, bitter experiences of, of my movie-watching life. Just sitting there thinking, like, Why? <laughs> Just where does it come from? What's in this? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. 
<laughs> so great. That's that was one of the first Criterion's that that I that I got as was that was that movie. <laughs> oh my god! No, I'll never, I'll never get it. I'll never get Cassavetes. I'll never get Malik, and that's okay. <laughs> Cassavetes, I'm convinced I can help you out on that one. Killing of a Chinese bookie, I think he is up your alley. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> so number one uh, for me is Promising Young Woman. That hasn't changed. Uh, it's I, been this way the whole time for you, yeah. yeah. Since the, since the Oscars, I since I saw this movie, I saw it by myself at Embassy in the middle of the day. There was nobody else in there. It was just me, and I. I knew I heard it was good. I didn't really know what it was about. I thought it was a horror movie because uh, of the marketing. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of everything. It's a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a drama. It's a thriller. It's a revenge movie. It's everything. And I couldn't look away. I was. I was astonished. It was so smart and so real and so heartbreaking and really just, you know, I think deserved the attention it got. I'm so excited to see what Emerald Fennell does, does next. She won uh, original screenplay at the Oscars. Well-deserved. I want to see what else she's got. Uh, the cast is fantastic. The twist at the end, like, holy shit. And I just, I hear people saying they don't like it. They give valid reasons. I just don't, I, I can't, I can't see it. To me, this movie has, very few flaws and i think it's lights out great and i wanted it to win best picture but i knew that was a long shot yeah yeah i I, yeah i I do think it was it was a it was a special thing for it to be to be the best picture my number one is also i think i think this is on any given year I, i just don't know if it would make make the cut uh so, so, so you're not, you're, you've never been bothered by how it was marketed that it was going to be like a rape revenge movie. You've never well, been bothered by that. Well, it is a rape revenge movie. It's just not her rape revenge movie. It's her avenging her friend. And sort of, yeah. I mean, she but, dies at the end. Like are the cops going to take care of it? The fucking cops. Like, I don't like that. I don't like is, the ending with the, the it, cops show up. <laughs> the way she sets it up though is yeah. Like, there's so much evidence that he killed her. Like she's go at the very least, he's going away for something. He's not going to prison for Nina's rape, but he is going to prison for her murder. Like that's happening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and probably I just don't, I, I don't, I don't with the subject matter, like the police, the authority have been so fucking terrible to women for so long about this issue, about being molested, being raped, you know, they're not being consent. And I feel like ending the movie with it in the cops' hands is like, ah, just it just left a kind of like a left kind of like a bad taste in my mouth. Like, damn it. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I what I wanted from the ending, but I just did not want the fucking cops to show up because they're the ones who don't give a shit <laughs> about for, for so long about this issue. Well, this movie isn't supposed to represent rape itself this isn't like it's just telling a self-contained story and in this story it it was the college that 
betrayed Nina the most. They never, she never got to really go to the cops because the college condemned her from the beginning and drove yeah. her to suicide. So in Cassie's mind, and, and I like that she's not kill, like she's not really killing anybody. She's making a point here the whole time. Like she you know she doesn't do anything to the one girl who like the friend who laughed at her. She drugs her and makes her think something happened, but she didn't actually do anything. The dean's daughter, which I thought was brilliant, where she just tells him, "Oh, I left her in the room, like the same room that you found Nina in," and for her to just be like, "Where's my mm. daughter?" made her point. And it was all about mm. making her point. The bit with the lawyer where she like had a plan and he's like, please forgive me. I'll never forgive myself. It's just, it was such a smart way to go about it because it wasn't your typical revenge thriller. It wasn't just kill everybody who wronged me. It was people need to learn why they like, why this was wrong. What they did was wrong and they need to know why. Okay. I thought that was great. And then to have the, you know, the big twist of Bo Burnham being part of this. Was like I, I knew that was coming. Yeah, like way back when. Yeah, in but it college. Was, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And then to constantly every guy gave the same excuse, you know, oh, we were kids. Like, like that means anything. Yeah. And it's I, I just the movie made me angry for the right reasons. And mm. I I respected that. I like that. I like that. I, I, I understand a lot more your adoration for it. Cause I, I get I get I get real like confused about well i also think maybe she's dreaming the whole time you know i think there's a i think there's a interpretation of the, there's many interpretations of this movie and i think it could be that i think there's a few times where uh, when i was re-watching it i was like okay i see why people think maybe she's like envisioning all of this stuff that she's just kind of lost society has kicked her to the side over and over and over again and that's where Carrie Mulligan is just like lights out. She's just shining so bright in this movie and she's the best part of it. So, yeah, okay. I, I get, I get a little bit more of your, I really wish the cops did. <laughs> I have it that I hate it. <laughs> Those bastards. Like they get the, ah, they get to like be on the screen last. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> All right. Again, though, not every cop is a complete piece of shit. I have, you know, I've got cops in my family we're good guys. So I don't want, you know, the film doesn't have to represent just the worst of everybody. There's got to be some heroes out there. There's got to be somebody I, out there I agree. who can make this story be, you know, have justice because clearly Nina didn't get it. Cassie's got to get it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying that not every individual with on within one, horribly represented and horribly run organization. Not every yeah. single individual is bad. I'm not, yeah, I'm definitely not defending anything they've ever done. I am 100% on board with the fact that that, that whole like the United States uh, police force force. Yeah. Completely fucked and has, completely yeah, has devoid of, long time. of any yeah. kind of uh, uh, responsibility or accountability. And I hate that. But this movie wouldn't make sense if the cops didn't arrest him. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. Well, and then the but then it would also be the irony of like, oh, see, you know, nothing. No. They don't ever do anything. This movie would suck if he got away with murder and rape. No way. <laughs> I would. They well, can't it, end it like that. It'd be. It'd be. It could be looked at as realistic if <sighs> you know if the the douchebag frat guy who set up 
for this job who's going to, like, run some bank one day. And yeah, and he's white, you know. It just – it could make sense. But, no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's just a hard – it's a hard movie to end, you know. It's a hard movie to – just, like, to like this is the landing. This is what we're going with, you know. And Emerald Fennell, you know, to – she's not from here, I don't think. No, she's English. So she doesn't have the tip that we all do with the police, you know, so it's, it's different. Her, her, her interpretation of what's happening and it could be completely different than what everybody else has, has taken. But no, I, I'm really glad you got to kind of share, share some of your, your thoughts about it and why you like it so much. Uh, makes, makes a little bit more sense in my head. Uh, I just don't, I don't know. This is one of those, like you said, you don't um, care to rewatch, you know, like Nomadland. That's kind of how I feel about Promising Woman is like, I'm good. I think I'm good. I think I watched it. I think I'm all right. I think, I think, I think, I think I'm, I think it's worth it. It's definitely not just like this horrible, horrible piece of art. Like, I think it's worth your time. I think it's worth anybody's time who likes. Again, just Carrie Mulligan crushing it. She's, she's amazing in this. Uh, well, you know what my number one is uh, another improbable, Against all odds, movie that's Sound of Metal is maybe my favorite movie about change, about human permanent change. And the fact that it came out during the pandemic, you know, well, the pandemic is still going on, but a year ago that it came out when people are without quite really knowing it and it's still good it's going to be a thing that we have to process for a long long time and people are are, are not going to realize it till they look back like holy shit my life changed through those couple of years when you're going through permanent change and you don't know it and you're watching something like sound of metal where this guy is very aware of the change he's going through very aware of what's happening to him it's kind of a double double fuck you like you're screwed like this movie's going to just destroy you and it does exactly that for me. It's the most. Um, kind of ambitious uh, for me out of this group where a lot of these movies, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna be told, you know, uh, Nomadland was a book at chances are someone was going to take that and, you know, do it. Chances are someone was going to make a movie about the making of citizen Kane. Chances are someone was going to do a trial of the Chicago seven and a Judas and the black Messiah movie. Chances are someone was going to do something like promising a woman. And I think there's other movies that are kind of like it, like revenge thriller type movies that deal with women going back and saying, no, like, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to fight back. Sound of metal. Just is so ballsy. It's so, it, it reminds me of whiplash in the way that it's like, we're telling a story that's wholly original and so different than anything you've seen. And yet it feels like so many great movies that, that, that you can name, you know, it, it has this familiarity that you can't put your finger on. And then it has this distinguished difference from other movies that is very easy to put your finger on. I love when movies do that. They make you sit and kind of just sit in your sweat. And you're like, what, am, what, what did I just witness? Was it sad or was it happy? <laughs> did he, overcome something or accept something i fucking love when movies do that and then uh that scene that we were talking about earlier is is probably my favorite scene from any of these movies is uh when riz ahmed and paul racy joe and ruben are talking and 
Ruben's like, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm be able to hear again, you know, and do this. And he's just kind of weird using his hands a lot and saying different things. And that's when, you know, Joe is like super calm, has his legs crossed. And he's like, dude, you, you sound, you sound like a junkie right now. You sound like you need a fix. And then, you know, that's the whole layer of him being a drug addict, a fucking heroin addict before this movie even starts. And that just to just stylishly and pretty easily put that into the movie, saying it, it's amazing to do that. Just put that into the movie. And, you know, the stuff with uh, Olivia Cook's character, his, his girlfriend who he plays with in the band at the beginning. And then her just kind of slowly easing her way out of his life because she's like, eh, I don't really think I want to be with a deaf guy anymore. You know, uh, it's, it's brutal. It's brutality. And that ending is, I'll never stop thinking about that ending when he's sitting on the park bench and he finally takes the, takes the, you know, takes the things out of his ears, the uh, hearing aids and just. I don't know if he's getting defeated. I don't know. I'm not sure. And this is just, this is and accepting something like that as a human being is by far the toughest thing. And it's what makes us human. It's what makes us tick us different in, in individuals are those fundamental differences and changes that we have to go through and i fucking love when movies use that use that as a key point and there's no question in my mind you know this is the only movie out of this whole group that i've i've now seen it i think four times five times i fucking love this movie there's just no doubt in my mind that it's number one uh, if another round was here there'd be some competition but it's not sound of metal is a through and through 10 out of 10 kind of movie for me and the rest of these the rest of these are just fighting for second place in my mind uh i love 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 sound of metal i love that it was up for best picture just i just don't think it would have happened on any given year i think it was there was something special going on there was some kind of wave and i feel like you and i were a part of it (laughs) right when it came out i was like dude watch it like please check it out it's it's just going to just rock you and I think we were a part of that initial wave of people who were like, no, this, this is really good. This isn't just some kind of indie movie like, oh, check it out. It's like, no, this, this is one of the best movies of the year. And it found itself there. And I'm so grateful for it. I, just like you, you were rooting for Promising Young Woman. I was rooting for Sound of Metal. I knew it wasn't happen. There's just no way. No way it's going to beat you know, typical Oscar movies like Nomadland and even Judas and the Black Messiah and I mean, Mank literally has Gary Oldman holding an Oscar statue at the end of the movie. It's not, it's not happening. There's just no way. And I accepted that long before the uh, nominations came out. So when they did, I was surprised. Uh, and I'm glad they, they had a horse there. And I'm glad they got some wins, you know, and some technical stuff like we spoke about earlier. I just, I, I love this movie. I could obviously ramble about it all day. It's super, super important. It's, I think... I think it's right up there, you know, my top probably four favorite movies from last year, uh, which would be hundred percent. My favorite movie of the year just got completely shut out. Never really. Sometimes always just a fucking masterclass. Uh, Eliza Hitman's movie about uh, two women who travel from Pennsylvania to New York city so that one of them can have an abortion. Just fucking mind blowing kind of movie. Uh, I love Kelly Reichert's first cow. That movie is another like, bare bones american fucking movie and kelly reichardt has 
just made a name for herself the past 20, 25 years. And she's one of my favorites. Uh, and then another round and sound of metal. Those, those four movies just can't really be touched for me. Yeah. Clearly got a big, a great affinity for this film and yeah, it's easy to see why it's a lights out drama about human change and it's fantastic. Um, my top 10 of the year, I had three, I believe on this, in this bunch that made that 2020. Cause some of these came out this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A few of them. Yeah. Uh, Nomadland, Judas, uh, well, is it just those? The father, Minari, and the father came out in the states this this year. Okay, there you go. So we didn't get them till this year. Yeah, uh, but yeah, my my top ten of twenty twenty was fairly unrepresented. Uh, Justice League: Dark Apocalypse War didn't quite manage to break it into the Oscars. Okay, that's that's that was also my top top ten. That movie is fucking bonkers, and I, yeah, yeah, it's so good. I like it better than yeah half of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, overall, decent bunch. Uh, would watch again for most of them. Yeah, and and will you know? Um, I definitely want to use some of these for episodes, and hopefully, we're doing this show for a long, long time, so we can we can just use them all for episodes at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, indeed. So let's recap real quick before we get on to our awards for Nomadland. Perfect. Um, you, you go first. All right. I got uh, number eight, Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, number seven, Promising Young Woman. Number six, The Father. Number five, Nomadland. Number four, Mank. Number three, Judas and the Black Messiah. Number two, Minari. And number one, Sound of Metal. Noise. I had number eight, Nomadland, number seven, Minari, number six, The Father, number five, Sound of Metal, number four, Mank, number three, Judas and the Black Messiah, number two, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and number one, Promising Young Woman. So pretty uh, pretty opposite lists here, but cl- we liked all of these movies for the most part. Yeah, like you said, our six, our five, or no, sorry, our six, our four, and our three were the exact same. Yes. And then... And then you kind of flipped, like you said, I had trial and promising at the back and you had them at the front. You had Minari more towards the back and sound of metal at five. So, you know, we just kind of, kind of, you know, swapped a few things around, but for the, you know, in the middle, it was pretty close. Oh yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad I love the showdowns. I'm, I love getting to do this to rank these films and really decide like, what did I think deserve to get best picture? Uh, great. Uh, Want to do some awards? Yeah, fuck yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, this is this is this happens a lot with these Oscar Sunday episodes where the movie I'm like, oh, I don't know exactly how I feel, and then I'm picking the awards out, and I'm like, holy shit, this is difficult for me. So that definitely helps me realize I, I like the movie more. So we got the Tarantino for best quote, the Ennio Morricone for best music moment, the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance, and the Roger Deakins for the best scene. So take it away with your Tarantino. Uh, I only have one this time. Uh, as I've as I've said throughout this episode, I don't think the screenplay is the biggest strength of this film. But there is one line I really liked. Uh, it's when Fern is in, I think it's Walmart, uh, some store, and she runs into a uh, family yeah. she, she used to know, the kid she used to tutor. And uh, they ask her straight up, like, are you homeless? 
And she goes, oh, no, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Yeah. And I thought, like, yeah. that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Because the concept of home is different to all of us. And uh, I like how this film t- plays with that. You know, home is what you make it. Yeah. And it's ult- ultimately it's where you you are. You know, you're never going to never going to escape your own mind. You know, you're you're always going to be just present wherever you are. And there's something to be said about that. I, I love that. that the little girl's like, uh, McDormand is, are you still, you know, full? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and then she just says, are you homeless? <laughs> just right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, so good. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, this is where I, I uh, like I spoke about earlier with the screenplay, it's hard to know what's written. What's just, from the heart what's from the book what are these quotes from these people but i couldn't help myself with that i think he's is this kind of like monologue in in the middle of the movie and it just it's just so so awesome so it's kind of long but bear with me swanky and fern are sitting in uh, i think it's fern's van and they're just talking and swanky says i'm gonna be 75 this year I think I've lived a pretty good life. I've seen some really neat things, kayaking, all of those places. And, you know, like a moose in the wild, a moose family on the river in Idaho, and big white pelicans landed just six feet over my kayak on a lake in Colorado. Or I come around a bend, was a cliff, <laughs> and find hundreds and hundreds of swallow nests on the wall of the cliff. And the swallows flying all around and reflecting in the water. So it looks like I'm flying with the swallows, and they're under me and over me and all around me. And little babies are hatching out, and eggshells are falling out of the nest landing on the water and floating on the water. These little white shells, that's what it's like. It's just so awesome. I felt like I've done enough. My life was complete. If I died right then in that moment, I'd be perfectly fine. (laughs) (sighs) Jesus, that's got to be from Swanky's heart. Yeah. (laughs) That's not, that was written down. (laughs) There's no way. I don't know, because her character is supposed to be dying. So, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough one with this with this one, you know. Uh, the stuff Bob Wells says about his son, like that's you fucking real is so tough. Mikey delivers that shit like he, she's been in a million movies. It's really crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a memorable bit. Uh, it is kind of awesome that all of these regular people, these nomads, they really could act. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The movie, the movie wouldn't work without them. I mean, yeah, without their their attention to detail. I wonder how much they got paid. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I, 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 I'm. I plan on looking more into this movie and kind of figuring out how it totally operated. Yeah. Uh, music. <clears throat> yeah, the Enyo. Uh, this score is interesting because it's it's not an original score. It's um, adapted music from uh, I don't remember his name. Uh, it's it's a tough uh, say. Ludovico Inaldi. Yeah, and uh, it is a beautiful score, uh, used pretty sparingly. And uh, the bit that I liked the most was uh, towards the end when Fern is leaving her old house for the for, for the last time. Uh, kind of sends you you know it sends the movie off it's a very reflective kind of haunting bit of music of like you know 
things may never be quote unquote okay again, but that's fine. Yeah, I chose the exact same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's called Ultramare is the name of that 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 track. It's like nine minutes long, and it is just. I listened to it on the way to work today. And I was just I was like I was about to come to tears if I wasn't about to go into HEB, uh, you know, to to fucking work at a grocery store, which is. You know, when I was watching this movie, I thought a lot about, you know, there's a lot of us, whether we know it or not, you know, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and you're just working, and working, and working, kind of putting your head down and working for different corporations, like this, this could be, this could be you. You might find a breaking point at some point. And I think No My Land is a, is a, is a warning to a lot of people. And also, it's also a, a, a hand that's reaching out. Like, you don't have, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be shut your job forever. There is, uh, there are options. If you don't, you know, you might have to live in a van and shit in a bucket, but there are options. You don't have to be just, you know, just fucking trapped by your bank account. Like, you don't have to do that. And I think having Bob Wells in it, especially Bob Wells, now he's like a successful as has different books about, you know, what he does. And it's, 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 it's his choice. Cause he's like, fuck what everything else is going on. Like that, that is bullshit. I'm not going to just work until I'm dead, you know? And I thought about that a lot while listening to that piece of music on the way to work myself. I'm like, I'm 26, but I, I, I want, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if I'm just going to be doing this until I'm 70 and then I retire, then I die. I mean, good God. You, you won't be, man. You, I can tell just by the fact that you're thinking about it shows that you're not resigned to it. Like, but it's not totally my, uh, you know, now I'm, now I'm a father, you know, I've been, I have a two-year-old daughter and it's, it's on me to make sure she's okay and that she has food and she has a place to live and has a bed to sleep in. And when you have that pressure on you, you're like, I have to make money. I have to work. I have to get up and do things I don't want to do so that I can provide for the people around me. And it's, it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't have kids. I have, I can't relate straight up. And, uh, I just know that I, knowing you, I don't feel like you'll ever lose the zeal. Like you've, you've got, a unique way of looking at life that I find very uplifting. And I don't think you'll ever lose that. I hope not. You know, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely look at, look at work. I try, I try my hardest to, to, you know, you're there for 40 hours. That is, that is when it's, when you look at the whole week, you know, a week has a lot more hours than that 40, you know, overall. Yeah. It's about what, it's about what you do with that other time, you know, uh, you know, 40 hours is less than two days, you know, there's 48 hours in two days. It's less than two days within the week that you have to go somewhere that you don't want to go. Hmm. So it's really up to you to make those other hours count really is make sure you get sleep, make sure you hang around with people that you want to be around with, make sure you're doing things you want to do. And I, I try my hardest to do that. I really do. I just know I'm young and that life like brings people down, you know, it brings people down and feel trapped and uh, never have to totally go through that kind of a moment, you know, like, like Fern is going through in this movie or like Linda May in real life had to go through Bob Wells or 
you know, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, uh, the movie has an extra layer of it when I think about just every individual, especially in America, is just driven by their fucking bank account and making sure that they're okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And that, that piece of music, it just like, I'm like, yeah, yeah. That, that piece of music just makes me think about life. And that's, that's really cool. If it makes you feel any better. I mean, you really only have to do it for 18 years. Like, and then, you know, <laughs> Willow goes to college and you're good. Yeah. It's like, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of people think that way. Like, oh, I have to like buckle down and watch. I have to really make sure someone's okay for 18 years. And then I'm then I'm on to my second phase of life. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. But I, I want to always be Willow's dad. You know, I always want to be yeah. the person she goes to. I never want to lose that. You won't. I can just I know you as a person. No. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I love that. I love when music can do that. You just you just fucking millions of thoughts. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> David <Obviously>. Strathern? <laughs> Obviously, Francis. I mean, it's not, you know, I looked in the in the uh, IMDb, 90% of the cast is like South Dakota extra, Nebraska yeah. extra. Yeah. Like, just come on. So, yeah, it's it's Francis, obviously. And uh, even then, I think she's she's done better. Yeah, I agree. She has other movies where she's, earned that PSH even more, you know, with competition around her. So yeah, she, she, she is doing some amazing stuff. And there, there are a few scenes that I'll talk about, you know, one very soon with my Deacons. She's just like, God, she can bring it. She can bring the grit better than most people, men or, you know, man or woman. She just brings some kind of like punch. Like when she tells, <laughs> when David Strathern is like, hey, you shouldn't be driving around at night to go get your cigarettes. I bought you this licorice. She's like, I can't smoke licorice, Dave. <laughs> like, fuck off. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, but take him. She's like, okay, get the hell out of here. <laughs> so funny. She's so good at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You betcha. Yeah. She's, she's just great. <laughs> uh <laughs> Cool. Oh man. Um, so that takes us to the Deacons. Uh, the Deacons. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you start? Okay. Um, my Deacons is, is, has been pretty clear since the first time I saw it. It's the most movie part of, of, of the, the, the movie altogether. It's when, uh, Fern goes home <clears throat> to her sisters with uh, Dolly. And it, I like that whole bit, you know, like when they're making burgers and Fern is like, I want two slices of cheese. You know, uh, I like when she's challenged. Uh, well, we all can't just chunk everything. And she's like, oh, chunk everything. You think I just chucked everything and just went out on the road? You think like you think it's that simple? I love all that stuff. But the best part to me is when her and her sister are sitting on the bed. And Dolly finally tells her something that she's been wanting to tell her for years and you can feel it. You can feel it. And I wrote down the whole, the whole quote because it's, it's just brilliant. Uh, Fern's Fern's sister, Dolly sits down and says, you know, when you're growing up, you're eccentric to other people. You maybe seemed weird, but it was just because you were braver and more honest than everybody else. And you could see me when I was hiding from everybody. And sometimes you could see me before I even saw myself. 
I needed that in my life. And you are my sister. I would have loved having you around all those years. You left a big hole by leaving. And Fern responds, yep, that one's on me. Jesus. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, that, that shit's crazy. I have two older brothers who have been just amazing to me. And I've been sick. And I've have been along my life's journey, like every step of the way, no matter what's happening, no matter what, even if I'm neglecting, you know, the, uh, the communication part, there's been times in my life where I've just kind of gone into like recluse mode. Uh, and they, they always like meet me halfway. They always have. And so watching that and this girl, this, this, this lady, not this girl, this lady is saying, I needed you, man. Like, I needed you as my sister, as my, as my fucking, you know, in my alliance, I need you. Like, that's, that's why we're, that's why we're here. We have that one thing in common that our parents are the same and that we were raised in the same house. Like I needed you and and her admitting that and then Fern, not even, not even fucking putting a wall up. She's just like, yeah, you're right. Like that's, that's totally on me. That scene is fucking incredible. When I watched it again, I, just cried like a little baby. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah, I've never, I've never had that. I've, I've been an only child my whole life. I've never had siblings to, to rely on to, you know, to talk to. It's never, I've never had that. I, I've been envious of people, but with that, my entire life. I mean, I've had, yeah. you know, I've had cousins, but it's, it's not the same. No, no. Well, yeah, because your your experiences living living under a roof with a mom and a dad or a mom or a dad you know what no matter what your situation is if you have to go through it alone like only you know that only you know that only you have the all those stories and all those experiences of being in that in that environment by yourself and there's no one to be like hey you're feeling this right like you get what i'm going through like that I can't imagine because I do, I have three brothers, you know, I have two older brothers and one younger brother and we're very, very close. And I, I can't imagine them not being with me for the stuff I've had to go through with them, you know? Uh, so I, I feel that man. How, how does it seem like that hit you? It doesn't. Mm, fuck. Yeah. I'm, I'm closed off to so much because of certain pieces of life i haven't had which is a fucking shame yeah and at this point in my life there's nothing i can do about that oh man yeah it's just it's just simply what you've been dealt it's the hand you've been dealt and it's like well i'm just gonna i'm gonna play the best i can and yeah and 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 it's really crazy i thought for sure you had an older sibling when i met you because i was like this guy's fucking He's smart he's seen a lot of shit he's read a lot of shit who's telling him to do this (laughs) i am my yeah. it's been me i've had to you know i've found everything i've loved and cared about on my own for the most yeah. part and uh i still do that it's still just me just you know doing doing my own thing just grinding away there's something just if you don't mind me saying like painfully beautiful about that that your passions your desires are your own and like whole wholly your own I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, a, there's some, um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, only, only, only child. There's some people that are only childs that are like terrible. 
you can tell, <laughs> yeah. you can tell no, you can tell no one's been like, Hey man, maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah, then there's people- some people, there's some people like you where it's like, wow, like they're, their their mom or their dad must have been pretty fucking cool because they <laughs> they've got something figured out. <laughs> yeah, I you know I hate people who've never been told no their whole life, and they're just you know <laughs> yeah, stepping yeah. on everybody because they've never had. Yeah, it's the worst. Uh, yeah, my mom is the greatest and gave me you know had me young so kind of you know we grew up together in a way mm. and she kind of was figuring it out as she went along my dad wasn't there and she just gave me life lessons i never forgot and just told me how to taught me how to be a good person how to care and what to care about and let me kind of figure out a lot of it on my own mm. and i'm very thankful for that yeah fucking a man wonderful lady <laughs> yes indeed this one's for you mom <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't listen to the show. It's fine. <laughs> it's not personal. She just doesn't quite get podcasts. <laughs> I've tried to explain it to her. She doesn't quite understand. <laughs> Neither do I sometimes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, my Deacons uh, was the same scene you had uh, for different reasons. Uh for a bit i changed it uh towards the end of the movie um for me it was just watching her kind of not belong and realize that this isn't who she is anymore but then i changed it to bob wells talking about his son Oof. yeah Oof. christ there's almighty n- there's no way that was chloe Zhao. that had to have come from personal tragedy it had to have uh, just the way he his voice broke and the the love that never leaves and the whole idea of like you know there is no such thing as goodbye it's just i'll see you down the road i thought that was beautiful yeah that was almost my tarantino yeah <laughs> i'll see you down the road yeah yeah so it had to be that it was one of the few moments in this movie that got me in the heart and uh yeah yeah he his selfishness to say he's using you know, i love when people are able to use their own experience to to relate to somebody and still not take over the whole conversation they can say i'm gonna see him one day and you're gonna see Bo. he tells fern you're gonna see your husband again and giving her kind of that little token of you know hope and it's it's fucking beautiful bob wells man what a guy <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that that scene is incredible great pick Oh yeah. Thanks, Bab. <laughs> yeah, Bab Wells. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, it may not sound like it, but I do give this film an eight. It it has enough to to stand. I just wish it had more. Yeah, I understand that for sure. I think it I think it could use just just a little more uh even if it was I don't want to say like totally made up or whatever, but just, just give there a little bit of an urge at times. I, I understand that. It is. This movie is fucking gorgeous. <laughs> just like God, there's some parts of the United States that you know are they're they're deserts and they're just these these pieces of landscape that no one no one is no one is really looking at. And this movie just puts it in the spotlight 
And it's so beautiful when they're in the Badlands and she says, we're the bitches of the Badlands. Like that place is fucking beautiful, beautiful. And there's, you know, there's, there's a decent amount of people there, but then you look at, you know, New York city and there's just millions and millions and millions inside of one city with these big man-made buildings. And you're like, "Ah, we should all go hang out in North Dakota. (laughs) I fuck. I do love movies that, hammer home the idea that the world does not stop at your front door. Mm. And I, I do think that this film, you know, highlights the majesty of America's landscape very well, while also condemning how fucking horrible we treat most people in this country, yeah. that people can work their entire lives and have nothing to show for it is absolutely tragic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that bit, I almost, there was another, the Bob Wells bit was my second pick for Deacons. My third pick that I thought about was when Linda May talks about how she like put in her social security benefits and it was only $500 and she had worked forever. You know, she's like, I, she's like, Fern, I've been working since I was 12 years old and I raised two kids. And she's like, I got to a really bad place and I wanted to kill myself, you know? And you're like, why do we do this to people? Like the fuck is like the powers that be are just, they just don't give a shit. The one percenters just do not care. And it's so, so sad. And if anything, any, any person with a pulse, especially American can see that can, can agree with that, that people are just treated so poorly and we have to do a better job. You know, I, I love that tribal instinct, you know, that these people have. And when Bob Wells is like, I see this is the Titanic and economic times are changing. And I want to get as many lifeboats out there as I can. Like, that's so fucking powerful. (laughs) Like, for someone to be bigger than, way bigger than themselves, you know. Uh, Very cool. There's there's great aspects of this movie. So I I give it a nine overall and definitely going to rewatch it at some point. I love movies like this that are just thriving on cinematography and thriving on landscape. And then there's some powerful dialogue. So I, I like it a lot. I understand it winning Best Picture. I think it's a very... Yeah, makes sense, you know. Okay, yeah, it's thinking a lot about things that are happening. You know, it's timely, it's looks beautiful. It's got Francis McDormand, who's an Oscar, you know, godsend. <laughs> so it, it just it just makes sense. Uh obviously we both wish other movies would have won, but it's a good overall winner. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm hoping next year means you know we're gonna get a crazy fucking wacko movie that wins best picture. Licorice pizza. That's what's happening. <laughs> is it, is it his, is it his chance? It's his, it's his turn. I don't know. He's, he's not, he could, he could win later down the line too. You know, I don't know. I'm, I would love for him. I would love for one of his movies to win, but if it's not going to be, there will be blood yeah. because no country came out the same year. Like it's, I just don't think it's ever happening for him. Having not seen any of the real, you know, it's Oscar bait isn't really out yet. I'm the one I'm hoping makes the biggest splash is Adam McKay's don't look up <laughs> because just, yes. just of how crazy it is, it sounds. And I want Adam McKay to win another Oscar. I want Leo to win another Oscar. I want it all. I want gold everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. hope that movie. Yeah. I really hope that movie comes through, you know, yeah. you never, you never, you never know with, uh, with, with films like that, but it, it, it has all the makings of something awesome. Yeah, as always, it's going to be a very interesting award season, and I love getting to experience it in real time and actually have an avenue to talk about it. Um, yes. 
So what are we doing next week? Next week is uh, an, an intense uh, genre film called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. 1960. Very excited. We've hinted at this movie a few times, I think, you know, over, over the podcast. And uh, I believe Caleb is going to join us for that next week. It's got, it's got really interesting uh, stuff that happened on set as well as <laughs> you know, Oscar nomination. So we will be kind of diving into that. We might, we might do something fun, some little project. Cause I love doing that with, especially with you and Caleb. Uh, so yeah, just come back, buckle up, you know, uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun. This is a movie I've never seen and I've been, I, I need to see it. So I, I'm ready for next week. <laughs> yeah. This is one, uh, we were going to do in October, uh, but we decided to swap it out with the Grand Budapest Hotel for Wes, for Wes Anderson. Uh, but it's never, you know, horror films aren't just stuck in October. We can do them whenever we want. Hell yeah. Uh, on Filmgasm this week, this Wednesday, we're tackling uh, an early Brian De Palma movie called Sisters. Uh, Fuck yeah. <laughs> this was your pick on our, uh, our monthly cycle. And, uh, I have not yet watched this. I have heard from you for quite some time that it is fucking bonkers, and I'm excited. I love, yeah, I love Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And then tomorrow's uh, sneak preview will be covering a wide variety of films, namely Eternals, Spencer, The Harder They Fall, and Finch on Apple TV+. Plus. So I'm going to try to watch them all, but, you know, we'll see. With that, uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.